Welcome to the Mortal Realms. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... I'm Davey, and I'm voting Archaeon for President in 2016. And this is Eric, Varengard of the Fifth Circle, Master of the Fourth Conga Line, and Third Champion from the Left. In this episode, we'll be exploring Chaos Battle Tome Everchosen to broaden our understanding of what the Stormcast are truly up against. Beyond the countless swords and axes, and greater than the blessed Chaos Champion, soars Archaon, his steed Dorgar, and eight circles of Varengard, and his enslaved circle of Gaunt Summoners. From before the time of myth, through the time of chaos, and now in the time of Sigmar, how has the Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse been spending his time? All will be revealed. So, Davey, how's it going? It's going awesome, man. Uh, I'm really excited for this episode. We're we're taking a look. You know, we've we've took taken a look at some of the crucial mortal realms, some of the places that uh, hinge around Age of Sigmar. And now we're we're going to do a, a character highlight here. One of the one of the people that define Age of Sigmar as a setting. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, um, I think uh, it's yeah. We've been reading through a lot of you know, books and it's the Stormcast point of view and we've gotten a lot of that. GW has put out a lot of that. Um, and now we've we've got another point of view that we get to to look from. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're trying out something else out in this episode. We've got a couple of interviews coming up and that uh, kind of tie in with this a little bit. Um, we've got Matt Sprange, uh, Tabletop Gaming Diary, ttgamingdiary.wordpress.com. We'll uh, hear more about that. I managed to get an interview with him. And I should note, that uh, in a case of great minds thinking alike, uh, Helenhammer recorded a interview with this fellow as well. Uh, so if you like what you hear, you're going to be able to uh, hop over there and, and uh, dig into it a little more. And then uh, also we got uh, Brad Schwant on there, and you were you were on with that too. So. Yep, managed to to jump on that one, uh, and uh, his you know most uh, noted because he pushes Arcan around the table a lot mm -hmm. and uh so it's yes. good to get his perspective for the campaign phase on how he plays and and what it's like uh putting him on the table so something uh, neither of us have been able to do but in in the meantime while brad is throwing the the big bad ever chosen around what have you been doing man um i've been doing i haven't been able to get in a ton of games um i managed to get a game up in uh minnesota with uh Braska. Uh, i've been trying to get a game over at uh, fantasy flight games for a, for a little bit, but just, you know, doesn't always hit. Um, so I got to play, um, my undead with my Mortark versus his, uh, Zinch demon army. And, uh, we, is that, uh, is that Mortark complete? I, I he's not complete. So I put him on, on the table a little bit, uh, half cocked and, uh, I'm customizing real, him a bit. That's a real Davy move right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right. You're wearing off on me. Uh, but, uh, so it, it was all right. I kind of pushed him up a little fast and got him. I got about like a hundred horror, um, shots into him and he died pretty fast. Um, and then, uh, I got to play, you and I got a game in, um, tried to play, uh, one of the scenarios from the balance of power. Um, and I got a game in with, uh, Paul, um, PJ shard at PJ shard from Twitter. Um, and played a, a, a scenario that uh, Painted by G um, put together that's kind of a, 
uh, rollerball. Um, you have a all hero army, and you run around gathering power ups, trying to go and capture a flag and bring it back to your your area. Um, oh, that sounds pretty wild. It, he's uh, he's on Twitter at Painted by G. Is yep, it? yep. Okay. So, and I think he's gonna he sh- probably will have released it by now uh, for people to take a look at. And he's kind of put it together as kind of just a fun, uh, you know, get stuff around, beat stuff up, you know, uh, don't take it too seriously kind of game. Cool. Um, otherwise, I've started way too many um, projects. So after um, Paca, you know, being done with my undead for a little bit. Uh, I started working on my Stormcast and got quite a bit of them painted. Um, I got um, two, another month of, of rats painted. I started working on the required um, Bretonian uh, Black Knights that nice. you know most death armies get, but because mine has you know each unit's from a different uh, army, it only made sense that I had to do it. Um, and then I, I put together 40 zombies and... What was the other thing? There's something else that I put together. So just a lot of here and there stuff, um, but not feeling like I'm making a lot of progress in any one area. So I got to, I got to pick one of these and, and really focus. Uh, I think Stormcast has been a lot of fun with the recent releases and, and getting some games in. Um, so probably keep going with those for a little bit. Yeah. How about you? What are you going up to? Uh, well, my one of my promised things to do after after Paco was to uh, work on the ability to play a game at home. So I I uh, got some boards cut up and uh, spray coated so that I'd be able to set up a rudimentary board at home. Got some terrain put together, undercoated, uh, making some progress on that, and then just kind of playing around with a couple couple potential projects. And one of the key things is we're uh, we're looking at the possibility of Holy Havoc GT coming up, and uh, we are still waiting on the release on the rules for those. Very excited to see those drop, and uh, depending on what they see, that's going to kind of um, trigger a, a project for me one way or the other. We'll see. But uh, I think uh, we'll talk about one of the other things I'm kicking around when we get over to the hobby phase. But uh, in, in the meantime, um, seeing, seeing where we go with that. But uh, terrain so I can play a game game at home and uh, figuring out what uh, what else is going to occupy now that I have enough slanish to put on the board I can keep adding to them as I go and then I'd like uh, some some side project to uh, just be able to go down and you know work on whatever whatever gets you gets you interested uh, in the meantime so yeah that's I mean that's one of the nice things about Age of Sigmar and especially with the release of these uh, battle tomes for the the Grand Alliance um, just get your ideas flowing and if you can uh, not be tied down at the moment, uh, you know, mm-hmm. dating one army. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty, pretty great time to be, uh, be buying models and painting them. Why don't we, uh, get into your interview with Matt Sprange? I'm really excited to hear, uh, what this was all about. The community phase. Hello and welcome to the community phase. I have a special guest on today, Matt Sprange, and he is the purveyor of a tabletop gamer's diary. That's ttgamingdiary.wordpress.com. And this is a particularly interesting blog. We're going to talk a lot about more about it, but uh, it's got book reviews, custom time of war, hobby coverages, painting, and then some other things that we, we really want to take a look at uh, running through some campaigns, some of the Warhammer World events. But uh, we'll touch that first. Let's meet Matt here. Matt, how are you doing? Not too bad. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Very glad to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. You are appear to be all in on Age of Sigmar. Can you tell us a little bit about your hobby background, how long, and what sort of games, what, what got you into the hobby? 
Oh, uh, going back many, 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 many years. Um, best part of a quarter of a century, I think. Uh, started off in uh, primary school with uh, fighting fantasy game books and Lone Wolf. Oh. Um, went into uh, RPGs and miniatures soon after. So, um, uh, yeah, it goes back a long, long way. Wow. All right. And uh, with the Games Workshop things for a long time or uh, trying out, you know, back and forth to different companies or... Um, a little bit of everything, but Games Workshop has um, figured um, somewhere along the line um, pretty much since uh, I started gaming. Sure. Uh, now, Age of Sigmar, you have, and I again, I encourage folks to go check out the blog when this is done. We'll have the uh, address in its, its show notes. Uh, what's... What's impressive is not just not just how much you've done, but uh, I've I've done battle reports and some documentation of these that uh, somehow you find the time to do these many things, but also also document them. Is this uh, are you, are you new to fantasy with Age of Sigmar, or is that uh, you know Warhammer Age of Sigmar, or did you play prior editions at all? Uh, yeah, I, mean, the, I think I came into fantasy. Um probably properly with the uh with second edition and uh i've been fading out uh, uh, through editions over the years mm. um was quite heavily into eighth edition got um quite a sizable dark elf and high elf force mm-hmm. um so age of sigmar came along and um, i, I kind of took to it like a, a duck to water yeah so let me let me give an example of how this is apparent in your in your blog so the one one very cool thing, and this is this is almost kind of like a, a hobbyist dream. I know people talked about doing this with the with the end times uh, for the world that was, but you're going through each of the campaign books and playing each scenario out as it goes. Uh, I know you've also done some scenarios from the other books that come along, but most crucially, it, you're you're putting together armies so you have the appropriate armies based on the background. So let me let me run a quick rundown since the release of Age of Sigmar. Here are the armies that. As far as I can tell, you've put together uh, Stormcast, Beastmen, Zinch Demons and Warriors, making up the Bleak Horde, a Bloodbound Force, Seraphon, Nurgle Rotbringers, Sylvaneth, Skaven, and for good measure, a Dreadhold. Is there is there anything I've left out here? Um, uh, probably not. I haven't got the armies in in front of me at the moment. I'm just about to start a Slanesh and the Everchosen. Oh, and I got the Fire Slayers um, sitting. Um, uh, waiting for their turn as well. Outstanding. So the Slanesh, are you matching? Is that's that's my army here. I've, it's in the time that you've done these what eight eight to nine armies. I've uh, done half of a Slanesh army, and I already had half of it done prior. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, and these aren't just you know here's ten guys and a and a couple heroes. It's they're uh, they appear to be fully fieldable armies. It's it's pretty spectacular. So um, is this. Is this the thing you've always done, painted fast, or is it just Age of Sigmar has kind of sparked this kind of outpouring of, of hobby productivity? Ugh. I've, I've probably done more over the past eight, nine months than um, uh, I have in the past. Um, I, I do tend to paint fairly quickly. Um, before Age of Sigmar came along, I was uh, quite a big proponent of the... Um, uh, all over wash, um, the, the semi dipping method. Mm. Um, but I changed the, uh, the way I paint when age of Sigma came along, um, for reasons that still aren't really clear to me. <laughs> um, uh, but it hasn't really, uh, slowed me down. So, um, 
Uh, it feels like you're taking more time over each model. You're getting better results, but it, it doesn't really stop the flow of miniatures coming out. Mm-hmm. So with this huge slew of miniatures, and if I remember you said Everchosen, Slanish, and uh, Fire Slayers on the on the horizon. Uh, well, well, if if it's popped up in a campaign book, it's probably uh, probably got a little note that <laughs> says do this. Sure, sure. So uh, actually, speaking of the campaign, so you, I was looking. It looks like the you've played up through War of Storms, which should have been the end of the quest for Galmaraz. Am I right? The end of the. Um, yeah, yeah, we just done the um, just finished off the Realm of Life mm-hmm. uh, battles in that. We're just about to start um, the uh, the battles for the in the uh, Realm of Metal. So we're, oh, we're trying yeah. to get to Sigmar's Hammer back. Sure. Um, and we've just taken a, a brief diversion for a couple of battles. We're, we're doing another one this Friday uh, from the Seraphon book. Mm-hmm. What what uh, what I like is so you've you've documented these battle reports extensively, like great great photography so it's it's uh you're able to see all these and it's painted versus painted on on tables with great terrain which again you've put together in order to match these scenarios uh and then as you march through it you can you know they'll have a blurb you know uh how it played out it's it's like a historical refight it's it's really fun to to follow along with so uh i'm excited to see some of the uh realm of metal ones because there's especially with the castle lifting off there's some pretty cinematic scenarios in there yeah I've, I've got to paint up another skull keep this weekend to um <laughs> uh, do one of the battles for that that'd be uh two skull keeps in a uh, overlord bastion is that what it's called yeah yeah um that's that's a that's some serious bulk for your terrain on the table there so well, it, it, it's a bit of a trap, actually, because you, you get all that done um, and you, you suddenly realise, well, if I just do one more malefic gate, <laughs> uh, I can do the Fortresses of Death scenario, the where they, you're fighting across two different realms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's out of so the that's, uh, battle tone. Yeah, that, that's one we're looking forward to. Cool. But um, uh, as I say, it is a bit of a trap because that's a, a battle I might not have looked at. But when you've just got one model to do, to, yeah. uh, to be able to do it, it's, it's kind of... You're kind of led by the nose. <laughs> so uh, after having played, and I, I think you may have even played, we'll, we'll talk about some of the events here, but I think you may have even played some of the uh, balance of power scenarios at uh, one of the Warhammer World events. Yes, uh, yes, we did. You, you've played a, a really broad number of the scenarios, and I've been working my way through kind of not in the systematic way you have, but would you, coming away from that, do you have any favorites of the scenarios so far? I don't think we've come across any um, bad ones yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any I wouldn't play again. Um, uh, the Ritual's always a, a favourite of um, uh, many people, and I can see why. But even the simple ones like um, uh, Breakthrough mm-hmm. um, uh, tend to work very well. It's more the it's more the narrative side that um, uh, I'm interested in. So it's if you've got the right forces and a reason for them to fight... Uh, just tack uh, an interesting battle plan onto that, and uh, you're well away. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a good point that I'll I'll branch off on here for a second. He's talking about having the right the right forces and and reason to fight, and uh, a lot of a lot of the podcast space is occupied by uh, talking about tournament comp systems like the mm. the pool comp and the South Coast GT or SDK, any of these things, and, and we've talked some about it on our show. But uh, from what I can see, you, you by and large, whether it's at the War, Warhammer World events or, or when setting up, you're going more sort of out of the book of like, let's, you know, let's 
bring bring forces and kind of reason back and forth what seems uh, what seems like a good uh, game. And how how have you found that? Has that been fairly successful for you? Um, well, I've I've had a look at a couple of the comp systems, um, but I haven't for actual playing. I haven't touched them mm-hmm. at all. It's all been done by uh, by eye. Um, I have seen obviously go to various forums, and it's it's always illustrated as a weakness of sure. Age of Sigma, and I've seen it in um, uh, amongst our own group as well. Um, people, are, uh, some people seem very desperate to. Uh, ensure there's some kind of balance mm-hmm. um, in the forces. What what I've found is that there's such a wide range um, between forces. Um, if you if you imagine getting the perfect balance is a, a pinpoint strike, that's not how these games work at all. It's uh, you've got like three feet either side of that target, and the game is still going to work. Yeah, um, and a lot of what's I hate to use the word, but a lot of what balances Age of Sigma is within the battle plans themselves. Mm-hmm. And also in the time of war sheets, um, one of the ones we've uh, been using right from the start is, I think it's called Storm of Chaos. Halfway through the game, uh, the game, the Chaos player can bring in more demons. Uh, the Sigma player can call down Sigma's reign or uh, bring more Stormcast reinforcements. Mm-hmm. Um, and that right there uh, balances any one-sidedness out uh, that develops during a game. So we find uh, a lot of our Age of Sigma battles are very, very close. Yeah, that, I I know several reports I watch coming down to you know a model or you know a couple dice rolls. That's that's been pretty exciting. And uh, one thing I've also seen is just sort of that willingness to be like you talk about a, a narrative idea. Uh, you know, having having a reason or having a story behind why you're doing it, and uh, that creates this sort of collaborative environment. Uh, I think I saw in one case, it became apparent early on in the game. Oh, you know, this might go very one-sided, and so you, you had the other player said, uh, "You know what, my chameleon skinks. I think they spotted the dwarf lord in the in the hold there." That's right. Yeah, and, I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, you make a quick adjustment on the fly, and now we've got now we've got a game again, and that's that's uh, that's pretty. Uh, cool way to go about it and and foreign to a lot of the people who may have been in the tournament uh mindset for so long that they might have lost that you know all of us as well, i can't speak for all of us but many of us starting out like like you said in primary school or early on you know the it was all about what got you excited was about the the stories and the the idea of the you know recreating that sort of thing on the tabletop uh, and so by its nature it's collaborative i suppose um well that's it i mean the first uh, games i played at warhammer we just lined up all the good guys on one side the bad guys <laughs> yeah. on the other and race towards the middle yeah um I, th- I think the first miniatures game i ever played sort of was um using star wars figures when i was eight and uh, <laughs> the fighting fantasy rules for combat um uh, but no is uh, i have come from the uh, the tournament side of things myself and before Age of Sigma, a lot of the Warhammer games we played were were always to points cost and uh, were were by any other um, term uh, done through tournament um, uh, systems, all very competitive games. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people, I say I see it in our own group, are locked onto that and uh, can't seem to break free, but... That's fine. As um, I want a competitive game, I've got plenty of players to do it with. 
I've just found for my my own part, Age of Sigmar's a, a nice breath of fresh air. Yeah, and uh, actually, my co-host Eric has been talking a lot about we're we're gonna try and get back to within our own area here, trying trying some more of that uh, out of the quote unquote out of the book uh, Age of Sigmar and uh, trying to trying to work with that a little bit ourselves. Uh, one one place that you and I want to touch on this because. Most of us around the world don't get the opportunity that you uh, you do there. It looks like you've been to quite a few of the Warhammer World uh, Age of Sigmar events. Mm. Uh, I've got uh, just went through your blog. It looked like the Age of, Age of Sigmar event back in September, War at Life's End, which was a, a doubles, the Throne of Skulls, Rise of the Seraphon, Trials of the Ever Chosen. Is there, is there, again, I'm not to put you on the spot, is there anything I'm leaving off there, do you think, or... Uh, probably one or two. There was the trials of the Oikir was uh, oh, yeah. a, a one one day event. Um, there's another one day event, uh, the Lure of Gold, where we're talking about um, possibly going to uh, later this month. Mm-hmm. Is that a uh, is that a Fire Slayer? It sounds like it must be Fire Slayer oriented, or is that? Uh, well, there's going there's going to be lots of gold around. <laughs> so. um, uh, it's using the uh, what do they call it? Clash of Empires uh, battle plan. Uh, um, they're basically using the the one day event to play test um, their next Throne of Skulls mm-hmm. um, match up in uh, oh, kind of like a live environment. Uh, well, how have you? Did you attend uh, Warhammer World events prior to Age of Sigmar, or is this your is this your first time getting to? I used to go a lot, but that that was about fifteen odd years ago. Um, I did a lot of the uh, the 40k events, a few of the fantasy battle ones as well, um, in their big uh, grand tournaments back then. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the campaign days, um, but no, I've had uh, had a bit of a break from that. But with Age of Sigmar, I thought, thought uh, well, why, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So one interesting thing about this is they, I, I know they have some, they have some basic guidelines on the armies you bring. You know, say bring 30 models and. Uh, you know they're pretty pretty limited what their what their advice is, but as opposed to playing with somebody you know well, you're playing with people you may have never met before, and uh, and surprisingly again to people who are coming from a a tournament or points mindset, mm. it seems like your games have been quite quite good by and large. Uh, well, this this is the interesting thing um, when Age of Sigmar first appeared. Um, a lot of people didn't really know how to approach it because it's, it is completely different from the way mm-hmm. uh, the points-based systems that uh, Warhammer used in the past. And that was reflected at the event. So people did go mad with the big multi-wound monsters and named characters. And it wasn't the most amount of fun you could have had. Sure. But keep going, going to uh, more events, you can see people beginning to adapt and... Uh, begin to get it you always go there um, worried about meeting that guy mm-hmm. and uh, there normally is one or two of them floating around um, you can grin and bear it for those games but the rest of the people um, do they they do get it mm. um, and if you even if you're meeting uh, uh, complete strangers who've come from completely different gaming backgrounds there is still common ground there um, for you to have an enjoyable game Sure, and I, I was I was kind of pondering this before starting to record here, and uh, the presence of a the presence of a particular system doesn't guarantee that you aren't going to run into somebody that 
you know, that, that you have a not as positive an experience with, you know, so that that's going to be present however however it's structured. Uh, but again, well, exactly. I mean, the, if you play 40k, you, you might still run into three race night guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So it, it doesn't, it, there's, it was, it was cool to, to see that and, uh, uh, see them committing to that. Do you have, actually, I should mention, uh, because I don't know that you, you seem like a modest fellow. You might not bring it up, but you you were the winner of the Throne of Skulls for one. Uh, I, I did, yeah. That was a surprise. <laughs> so that I actually really liked how they. I heard some coverage from Dan Heelan on Heelan Hammer, and then on your blog. I thought they did it pretty clever. They do it on best game votes. However, the tie right is this correct? Like who? Uh, it was it was kind of a, um, a sportsmanship, but then the tiebreaker was. Uh, your win loss record. So it it is this it was. I, was I, I came away from that event thinking that that was actually quite a clever way of doing it because if you if you do want to win the event and you, uh, you've got to acknowledge wanting to win a best sportsman event probably should disqualify you right from the start. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but you've got to uh, seriously crush everyone you meet and be a nice guy while you do it, mm-hmm. and that's that's never going to be an easy balance. Yeah. Well, but what's clever about it to me is that the the lead piece is the uh, you know to to get there in the first place is the having valuing the experience your opponent is having you know um, and I think that really highlights some of the where Age of Sigmar is headed you know. Well, that's that's the secret. Um, even at um, these uh, kind of organized events, uh, if you worry about um, how much the other guy is enjoying the game. Um, uh, as much or more than yourself, it is a complete change from points-based games where you're really just looking to win, and if you can have a laugh along the way, great. Uh, Age of Sigma is all about having a laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's just I'm I'm always I always like seeing the different formats as they and it, uh, especially these Warhammer World events are uh, a lot different than the events that have cropped up uh, in the independent scene. So I, I think it's a cool innovation, and I, I, I've always thought, whatever the addition, that it was it was good to see that in the community. You know, let's not stagnate and get used to only one particular way of playing. So Oh, indeed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on, and, and you in your blog are, are very positive about Age of Sigmar. Um, I was telling you earlier that I had come across come across what you've done uh, on this uh, forum I've been on for a long time, Daka Daka, and they, uh, they're they primarily a, a 40K forum. However, there is the Age of Sigmar section. You, you created a thread. I believe it was you created. It was the, uh, you know, show show your hobby progress and sort of a motivational oh, yes, yeah. thread. Uh, that's, been, that's been a great thread to dig into and see what people are working on. Uh, but one particularly interesting thing I, I've found is that so you'll you'll post something positive, and then sometimes you know you'll get positive reactions. Sometimes you'll have people who are very negative. Uh, you know they, <laughs> they they're upset about Age of Sigmar. What I what I'm particularly impressed with is that you you identify well, like oh I'm going to walk away from that. You know I don't need to force X or Y person to to uh, enjoy this. You know, and so there's not there's not enough time in the day. Obviously, you have models to paint, uh, so. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, I, I do have uh, quite a thick skin. I, mean, I don't know how long you've been um, 
doing the hobby on the internet. But yeah. uh, in the, in the days of news groups, there was one called RGMW. Okay, that's um, it was uh, what's that? Rec Games Miniatures Warhammer, and it was an absolute shark pit. <laughs> uh, but frankly, if you can survive that, you can survive. You can survive anything. Um, I, mean, I, I do have some other concerns about posting online when people you do get attacked um uh, for for really whatever position you take and i do have the additional worry that um uh, as well as a hobby the through uh, my company the uh, uh, games are also a living so you've always got in the back of your head if somebody reads this are they going to think negatively about the uh, the company mm, i see yeah um uh, even though i go i post on places like daco there's, there's nothing um, commercial about it at all it is uh, purely about the hobby um, but no I've, I've learned that um, uh, the the ignore button on uh, <laughs> Dakar is very useful it makes it most most readable <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's it's tough to have that kind of um, negative negative posting thrown thrown back at you and I, I think you've handled it well and and um, between the forum and your blog, you, you bring a lot of positivity to the hobby, and that's something we like to highlight uh, highlight here. Um, not not just not the positive, just the positive attitude, but the, uh, the inspiring. Like I said, the sheer number of models and this project is is very cool, and of playing through all the the campaign. So I wanted to hit you with a couple of quick questions here, and mm. if uh, if you're not quite ready to answer off the cuff, then you can you can ponder <laughs> for a little bit here. But uh, so there's been. It's been quite a storm of releases since uh, since Age of Sigmar came out. A lot of books, um, a lot of miniatures. Do you have a Do you have a favorite book release thus far? Uh, on the novel side, it's probably going to be Warstorm. That's where the uh, the storyline really kicked off for me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the game books, probably Balance of Power because of the twist at the end. That was the first thing that made me sit yeah. up and think, ah, they're actually doing something different here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think there was there was a we haven't covered the call of Archaon yet on our on our show. There was one moment in there uh, that also you thought uh, there there was they've hinted at something like that. But yes, it, it was it was very cool. Balance of power also very interesting in the scenarios. Uh, said so many atypical table setups. But that was. I don't know how, if you've had a chance to look through those. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, th- I think possibly the one that really made me smile was the um, uh, towards the end in the uh, that weird place in the realm of metal where time yeah. and gravity are all going weird. Yeah, a gaunt summoner comes along and thinks he's got a way to um, trap uh, Archaon and uh, control him. Yeah. And all he has to do in his typical, typical Zinch way is get all the plans to fitting and he's almost there. And that's the point that Archaon shows up. You turn the page and the, uh, the next battle plan is uh, this Gaunt Summoner trying to get away from a very <laughs> yeah. angry Archaon. Yeah. And, and on a table, it's like a weird stair step. Some of these look logistically difficult to set up, but very interesting. Uh, I, <laughs> I think they're uh, encouraging you to buy the Realm of Battle. Yeah, yeah. It gets a lot easier there. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So, uh, All right, so that's the books. Have you, do you have a favorite? Uh, we'll go with two things. Favorite miniature release, and then also what favorite ar- army project, since you've worked on so many, um, would, you, would you be able to identify Something that like. is that is a tough one. Okay. They GW you can see GW getting far more uh they're giving their imaginations far more free reign with the um 
with the miniatures they're doing. I'm, I'm looking at some Varangard at the moment. Mm. Uh, the detail on them is quite incredible. Um, speaking as someone who's been going around collecting all the armies and uh, picking up all the new releases, I'm fairly dreading the uh, new Dracoth riders we've been starting oh. to hear about. <laughs> Big box set, and there's four different units. So what am I going to do? Um, units of three, four different. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least, at least not immediately. <laughs> <laughs> they do, they do look pretty fun though. A nice variety to add to the Stormcast, which is such an infantry heavy army. So, um, um, but no. In, in terms of favorite army, um, I think what one of the things I really liked about about Age of Sigma is that you don't need to do the full 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 point force. Mm -hmm. You can just have a couple of units of Pestilence, and that's what you need to uh, play a, a Pestilence-based game. Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm painting up stuff now that I would never have touched before. Um, I would never have done an Urgle force. Um, but, uh, you know, grab a, a couple of box sets of uh, each unit, and uh, you're, you're well away, and you don't have to worry about um, uh, doing big units. I was, it made me think... Um, uh, I just painted up a unit twenty storm vermin, and th that's all I'm going to do for the uh, the Skaven force for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. If I was doing fantasy battle, I'd need thirty or forty of them straight away. But sure. now I can I can just move on to a different unit. Sure. And with the way the Grand Alliances are structured, they can plug into something that you've, you know, I I put together a uh, Sigor and didn't have to put a whole. You know, I really like that model, but I didn't have to put together a whole Beastman army in in order to put it on the table. You know. Uh, okay. That's right, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm starting to look at 40k and wondering whether it'll actually be a good idea to do the same thing there. Mm, yeah, well, it's. Um, yeah. I think the the internet will explode. <laughs> yeah, more more than it already usually does. So, uh, yeah, no, it's just nice to have that sort of wide open. It's it's made it so you can be excited for releases regardless of what they are because you can think, how does this fit into you know, another, or, you know, do I want, I, like you said, I can get on board with, oh, I really like this new model. I can pick it up for that model rather than realizing that I'm committing myself to, uh, you know, 2,000, 3,000 point force if I want to. That's that. I mean, you've, you've got me thinking about witch elves just now. Yeah. When I was <laughs> working on them, I was, you, you need what, 30, 40 mm -hmm. for a decent unit, especially the price they were doing. Mm -hmm. Age of Sigma, 10, one box, yeah. you're done. Yeah. Just move on to the next thing. Absolutely. All right, so that's that's what we've uh, that's what we've seen so far. Let's talk about what what uh, obviously we we have some rumors. We think that uh, hmm. uh, destruction may be coming, that sort of thing. But on a broader scale, what what do you see for the uh, Age of Sigmar? What would you like to see, or what would you would would you be particularly excited about? Huh. Um, to be honest, the, the best thing I would be looking forward to is um, more twists in the story, mm. uh, like we saw in uh, a, a Balance of Power. Mm -hmm. um, well, I've got I've got various theories. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I do have an idea. When we see the Steamhead uh, Duardin, um, they're going to be they're going to comprise a lot of the old older dwarf range. Sure. Well, I'm wondering if they'll retire the uh basic dwarf clan warriors um but keep the newer things like hammerers and mm -hmm. the iron breakers and those will become the new base troops if you like yeah could could well be certainly i think uh, i think i've mentioned before i think some of their latest releases like the uh, uh 
uh, Iron Drakes and uh, Gyrocopter. I think those fit more in with you know, and they're and just going to fit right in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they almost fit better with that than they did with the with the world that was before. So. Uh, the bigger the bigger questions with the elves. Um, I was looking at my uh, high elves force, and it suddenly occurred to me: I don't think there's any way they'll get rid of, say, the phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're going to keep the phoenix, then what about the? Um, oh, what was the flying chariot called? Uh, you're talking about the one pulled by the rock. Arrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't remember. But that that was released at roughly the same time. It's mm-hmm. a perfectly good kit. It might make sense for them to keep it, but if they do that, they, are they going to keep the same aesthetics? Mm-hmm. Don't know. No yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. They, kind of, uh, so it's it's that's a interesting, exciting thing to look forward to. And like you said with the twist, what what's been cool is that they seem very willing. Obviously, you know the biggest twist for the world that was was that they blew it up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they're willingness the sort of sequential narrative is is pretty exciting you want to see what's happening next and mm. it, it looks like they're willing to take some surprising turns with it too which which makes it uh take some of the predictability out and that makes it all the more exciting for me it sounds like maybe the same for you so absolutely see where it goes next all right well is there let's uh let's cover again it's ttgamingdiary.wordpress.com a tabletop gamers diary uh, you are Mongoose Matt. If are you on uh, Twitter or anything like that that uh, you would want? No, to... no, okay. I don't do anything like that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, so the best way, if people want to check your stuff out, is to go check out that check out that blog. So, uh, is there anything else you'd like to to say before we uh, sign off here? No, I think uh, I think we're good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks very much, man. All right. Cheers, Sam. Yep. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. As the embers of the dead world cooled, the three-eyed king beheld his dark destiny in the reforged shards of the Eye of Sherian. Enemies are twisted to the ever-chosen's ends, and allies are transformed anew. The devoured become the devourers feeding upon the belly of the beast. Mirrors reflect the reflected upon themselves, eyes of terror wide with madness. Reality weeps and empires burn under the blade of the three-eyed king. The nexus of world falls into the darkness between the snapping eight-starred standards. And so the god-king was brought low by the ruinous powers in their champion. A dark dawn broke behind the ever-chosen, its chill spreading across the land with the promise of an age of torment. So we wanted to to spend time from a different point of view, like I said earlier, um, from the point of view opposite of... Uh, Sigmar and his um, Stormcast Eternals. And the the release of the Archaeon Battle Tome is really one of the you know places that we get to see that point of view. Uh, there's a, a book series, Call of Archaeon, that definitely gives you more of the hero stance, you know, being the um, Chaos Champions. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that here. Um, mm-hmm. But in this book, you know, we get to see kind of what has been happening, what happened in the past from the chaos point of view. Um, and you know, who this major character Archeon, you know, what role he played in, um, moving from the age of myth to the age of chaos through the age of chaos and then into the age of Sigmar. And I think it's a super compelling, um, role and, uh, the character that they've developed in Archeon, um, you know, I think befits the, the, crazy model that came out for him uh last year 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who's so important. He's he's the first one we've seen get a a battle tome named after him. Like this is a battle tome devoted to him. And you know, some of the feedback is there's just there's not a lot of war scrolls in here, but it's because he's he's so crucial to the to the game as a whole. So, and our focus is primarily on the story elements of of Archeon the Ever Chosen. Um, mm-hmm. There's you know um, we'll talk you know and part of it is because that's I mean that's the 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 pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to fit together and these um, books the um, campaign books the the novels and the battle tomes all kind of hide little gems and pieces in them um, and it's you know it's definitely worth you know going through and, and checking them out to find those pieces and so that's you know that's the other aspect of this is um, there isn't this isn't a big book. And this isn't a novel of a story, but there's just some really cool things that are happening. And one right, of the absolutely. one of the things that um, to note um, about Archeon is he is a character that made it through um, the destruction of the world that was, um, mm-hmm. and uh, previously had kind of been um, this this mortal um, general, you know, with great skills, uh, marching this this army of barbarians from the north always kind of looming and threatening to conquer um, the empire. Um, and if you want a really good history of, of Archeon, and I, I you know, apologize for not having the exact episode, there's a podcast called Tabled, the Tabled podcast. Um, and there's an episode that they do this, you know, what, listen, go listen to all of them. Um, and, <laughs> but there's a really great episode um, about um, just Archeon, uh, his history uh, and leading up to the end times um, and his role there. Um, and um, one of the things to you know note still about that character that's that's been consistent throughout is that um, he's a um, how do you say it a, a brilliant uh, warlord um, that would not bow to any of the any one of the chaos gods mm-hmm. and received gifts from each of them. Um, and so some of the major things that he carries with him, he's got a crown of domination that, uh, that, that spreads fear and dismay. He's got the eye of Syrian, Syrian, sorry, uh, which gives him some future sight. Um, the armor of Morkar and do you, I didn't see if that gives him, I know in the rules, it gives him um, some protection against mortal wounds. Um, but I don't know if story-wise there's anything more special about that armor. Um, the Slayer of Kings, which is a sword that has the bound soul of the demon Uzul in it. Um, mm-hmm. And he rides a shape-shifting demon steed named Dorgar. Um, uh, here's 10 points, Davy, if you can pronounce his uh, other name. I, I remember seeing this and I think like, I... I... These guys are just throwing random syllables together. <laughs> I'd be interested if they like what what the thought process is. It looks like Gershi Ishpach. Good okay. job. I I think yeah, right. the phlegm is uh, a for effort. Uh, you get all yeah. ten points. Well, um, at least one of the heads is Nurgle. So <laughs> it must be well, and uh, and who uh, uh, um, Archeon himself was able to break. So it was presented to him, and he had to break the steed. Uh, like yeah. any good horse rider, um, and previously let, had let the been, record show. Sorry, let, no, let the ahead. record show that he uh, he he broke that steed back when it wasn't a big three headed dragon style <laughs> steed. So. <laughs> uh, absolutely, um, 
And it, it's a repeated story from the previous uh, world and into this one that he was so good at conquering in, and that each god feared that he would side with one of the other gods, that he would bow to one of the other gods and kind of tip the scales. The chaos mm-hmm. gods are always uh, in competition and, uh, you know, uh, jealous of each other. And so um, they each, each one demanded sole patronage. And when he refused, uh, they each sent a champion to kill him. Uh, and when that failed, <laughs> they just said, well, why they rose him to, to demigodhood. Um, and and uh, so that he represents all of them and none of them. And I think one of the interesting kind of, not only is he defiant to, you know, bowing to any one of them, which, you know, any other champion is forced to choose, right? Um, in the end times, he was meant to, and, and won't say much, and if you've got something to add on to that, Davey, he was, he was meant to conquer the world, but in a spiteful, uh, his own spiteful plan against the chaos gods, he destroyed the world. Um, that's, that's interesting. That's a, that's a take that I have not uh, heard before. Is that, is that something you were pulling from the source material or? Where? Um, I, I, I may, I'm trying to think if, uh, it was from the, like I said, the tabled podcast stuff, or, um, I might be pulling it out of, out of my own, uh, you know, pants, but, uh, just this, um, idea that he's, he's always had his own, sometimes his he's own always, agendas. You he's know? always doing it on his own terms, right? Yep. I mean, yep. this, this is impressive. Like he's, he's kind of figured out the, the weakness of the the four chaos gods is that they're always working against each other. So he's uh, he's playing them off each other uh, to his own benefit. Yep. And that is, that's what's making him able to walk this line and, and be the be the guy that he is. So. Yep. So in addition to the things that he carries, his weapons, his armor, these gifts bestowed upon him by the by the four gods, um, he is master of the mortal realms. So in in current state, all of the victories of the mortal realms belong to Archeon. So and this is what this is what for me like really establishes him as you know. Uh, and I don't want to dwell too much on the yeah. world that was, but but there it was this thing. He's coming from the north. Uh, they couldn't. It was hard to like really believe him as as the big bad when for him to be victorious meant that the the world was wiped out. Well, then they did. So you know he he wiped out that world and then the mortal realms were created and he's conquered those. So this is, this is, he's already put his money where his mouth is. Like he's, he's already, he's already done everything, but just come shy of like complete victory. And this, this makes him like so much more formidable of, of, uh, an arch villain for this story than as the guy who, you know, Oh, he's really, he's going to do it. One of these days he's going to do it. Well, he's, he's already done it, you know? And that, that's, that's what I think, really kind of drives home even before you get into any of the details uh, that this is, this is the guy, this is the big bad guy. Right. Yep. And so uh, let's go back. Um, I'm going to uh, get into the, the section shadows of the dark gods. And mm-hmm. cause each we'll talk about some of these other things in a minute. Um, but it goes back to, um, the ever chosen book goes back to the age of myth. Um, and, 
there was a time when, obviously, the age of myth, when Sigmar was wondering had the alliance and and kind of the they had the walk of the realms. Um, it kind of treats chaos at that point as kind of like these the nipping, um, you know, nipping at the edges of the realms. Or you know, there's it was only when like a weakling straight off that you know chaos would pick something off, uh, pick off a straggler or that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, so the, you know, there was just this strong alliance and it was imbreachable. And so the four gods called upon Archeon to conquer the mortal realms and, uh, he accepted. And I think it was, and this is kind of back to, you know, we talked about the relationship between, you know, of, of Archeon having his own little, you know, reasons for doing his own agenda and doing it on his terms. Um, I think it was in one of, uh, in the first book that came out where it talked a little bit about how, um, and maybe, maybe I'm just inferring this, but I don't know, but the idea that he, in destroying the old world kind of thought he might be rid of, of the burden. Um, but that in the new world, um, you know, they've remade him and said, no, you're coming with us and you're going to, you know, be the, the ever chosen again. Um, so he's kind of thrust upon the stage at it, but he's good at it, right? He's really good at it. Um, yeah. So he's a, um, a cu- you know, he was a he was a cunning general. I talk a little bit about how he tricked Sigmar into losing Galmaraz. He manipulated Nagash to be a downfall of the alliance. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, a battle against the All Points um, and Nagash's um, uh, realm first, and he, I mean. And maybe the same reason he was the reason he's able to survive against the four chaos gods is what gave him the edge over this alliance, right? Knowing sure, right, if you if you can play the chaos gods off each other, then you sure can play some other, you know, Sigmar's pantheon off itself. And so, yeah. and, and this is we talked about this some when we were doing our, our Shyish coverage is, you know, somehow he the the first one to be split off was Nagash, and we don't have the specific details of how that happened. Uh, and Nagash clearly thinks that, or seems to think that it was, you know, Sigmar was a betrayer and, and, uh, and vice versa. Uh, but somehow, uh, we don't know how, but, uh, Archaon managed to, to, uh, splinter Nagash off. And that was the weak, weak point he needed to be able to, uh, make his inroads into the all points later to be renamed the eight points. Yep. So, um, the, you know, these are a few of the notes that will that that are really really interesting, and and this book fleshes those out even more. Um, so th- there's a there's a part in the book that describes Archeon's kind of his rule, you know, like where his home is, right? In some of the books, we've talked about the Crystal Labyrinth, you know, the home of Zinch. We've talked about um, Papa Durgal's garden, um, mm-hmm. right? And so this is, um, you know, the what's called the, the empty throne and inside the Varen spire. And mm-hmm. this is inside the realm of chaos. Uh, the writhing sky shows glimpses of the mortal realms. And it talks a little bit about um, that a little bit later too, of where some of the, those kind of holes come from. Um, the corridors of the Varen spire are filled with like, I mean, this is the realm of chaos. So it's, I get the impression that you turn down one hallway and, um, you know, you see one thing, you go down to another and again, representing all of the gods. So you, you could turn around a corner or, or hit the bathroom stall and see a nest of writhing demon flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, uh, accidentally, um, go into the, 
um, uh, uh, employees only lounge <laughs> yeah. and see sanity rending shrines. Yeah. Um, if you take a wrong turn, there'll be fighting pits where gore covered champions fight. Um, at the center of the chamber of the vanquished, there are pillars carved with the faces of Archeon's defeated foes. Yeah, and not maybe not just carved, but maybe trapped in there. Like maybe is, maybe something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they might be living yeah. statues, whatever. Yeah. Um, and and Dorgar has a special flavor of that. Uh, that we'll find out a little later. Mm-hmm. And then Archeon's throne itself is flowing of, full of darkness and ossified ambition. I had to look up ossified. Uh, <laughs> and it means to turn to bone. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so just, you know. His, that one away, Mr. <laughs> Death Army. You know, yeah, right. So. Um, but here's the kicker. He has never sat on this throne. This is this is one of the coolest things about it. Like, this this is this is the big bad, but he's the big bad that he's, he's moving. Like, he's making things happen. He doesn't have time to sit and be Skeletor sitting up there and, you know, brood and cackle and that sort of thing. Like, uh, you know, meanwhile, back in Azir, Sigmar has got plenty of time. He's sitting there rooting, like, he's, man, you know, it, it sucks I got pinned back in Azir. Archaon, even even as he approaches near total victory, like, he's, I got things to do. I got things I need to do to secure this. I, I, I really like this, defines him as a man of action. And this is, you know, it's, it's not quite a throwaway line, but it, it is something that helps define him as, you know, uh, more than just a, a guy sitting in the background. Absolutely. But the throne room itself is not empty for mortals and demon lords visit there. Like I imagine just a stream of, of chaos champions paying homage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's watched by some of his sorcerers. Um, and so there's just the sense that, yeah, I'm not there, but you're still going to, you know, <laughs> bring your tributes. You're still going to do what you need to do to please me, that sort of thing. Um, and, um, it's, there's interesting and I'll, I guess I'll push it forward a little bit from where it talks about the gaunt, gaunt summoners. Um, <laughs> like here's where that, the never sat on his throne. Um, you know, you think of <laughs> the CEO of a really bad company, always on the move, um, that the gaunt summoners even facilitate spiritual meetings where they he, they suck the spirit the souls out of the champions and gather them together with meetings with Archeon so kind of conference calling uh kind mm, of thing yeah. so but just this idea that no matter where he's at in the in the realms he's he has the people he needs to talk to at his fingertips when he wants to when he needs yeah. to etc but instead of a dropped call you get eternal damnation so. <laughs> <laughs> terrible hold music <laughs> Well, so if you want to know more about the Varen Spire, and we, we do intend to circle back around and, and take a look at the uh, Call of Archaon book, but uh, one of the sections in that does does involve a visit to the Varen Spire, uh, and you can get some more, more details on that. And it's it's a crazy place. So, yeah, if, if that's not been made clear already. So. Yeah. So the, here's where it, we learn a little bit about um, kind of what he was doing pre-Age of Myth. So while Sigmar was... Try, you know, uniting and clearing the realms. Uh, Archeon was marching an army across the realm of chaos, fighting battles. Um, and I don't know if this, I mean, this was kind of the, the infighting that the, I know that talks about there's infighting between the four chaos gods during this time where they're kind of, you know, just quarreling, but it seems like they're distracted with other things. And mm-hmm. here's where, um, you know, Archeon gets the, 
the title Destroyer of Worlds. No, I was just say there's an image in the book where it actually shows him kind of amidst planets that are being just, yeah. you know, so the world it was wasn't the first and it wasn't the last. Or right. it may have been and, the first, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. And, and I know some of the, uh, I remember some of the, verbiage we was talking about is uh you know maybe these mortal realms kind of sprung up and the chaos gods weren't didn't have hadn't brought their full attention to it you know they were mm-hmm. once the once they managed to do away with the world that was then they became concerned with squabbling over you know over other things and uh and that's maybe what he's involved with i mean if you're if you're marching across the realm of chaos you you got some cojones on you because uh that is you know the seat of their power so yeah uh, um, but it has some really cool, so it, it you know, like you, like most of the stories drops some, you know, these tidbits. Um, one of his crusades um, had him destroying the, the Yornish kingdoms where he slaughtered 300 of the royal bloodline. Um, and, you know, it shows kind of his uh, aspect of corn, knee high in blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's the Shantor Isles where he brought plague and ruin to a people known to be highly resistant. So it was almost like this test of patience and, you know, whether or not he could overcome, you know, even them in that way. Um, he fought the three-souled serpent god, Uale, <laughs> who and, created... And I go ahead. I did not recognize this guy's name as, as being any of the, uh, the former um, Seraphon gods, the lizardman gods. Right. Uh, but it certainly, it certainly seems that way with Star Crucible, Serpent God. Yeah. Uh, so that, that may be a reference there. I don't know if they'll flesh that out at all. Um, but here it was a really interesting kind of just visual where he allied Zinchin Slanesh forces to seal that, steal the artifact. And using, <laughs> he sent his forces in knowing they were going to die against this thing, but used their souls and, and used the magic to, to turn their souls into this cage of mirrors, which uh, reflected <laughs> uh, Uale's um, kind of body into itself and which caused it to explode in a thousand brilliant hues. Um, mm-hmm. Just so, so just using Zinch and magic and, you know, kind of that, that sort of side of him. And then uh, the, the Hidanchi emperors, demon lieges of Slanesh, um, where they, you know, uh, so gluttonous that he fed them um, slaves upon slaves upon slaves upon slaves until they they burst um, from from gorging themselves. Um, and I like this little clip here because it, I feel like it's a maybe an overlooked portion of the Slanesh aspect is the the gluttony side. Like I, you always see these you know kind of lithe and sinuous demons and and all that sort of thing. But uh, it reminds you like, hey, yeah, maybe maybe there's some real you know fat bastards out there you know, <laughs> the, the sort of gluttonous gluttonous side I thought that was cool and it has kind of a parallel to uh, missing Slanesh who, who gorged on the souls of the yeah. elves during the destruction so that was kind of a, a, a cool touchstone to get yeah so you know how Alariel has her seasons sometimes mm-hmm. Slanesh goes into her Twinkie season um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> needs, to, needs to eat a lot um, it's not just whipped cream filling <laughs> Uh, so, and then what was really interesting is that I know that like when the, the big dragon came out and we were used to seeing Archeon on the, the demon horse the question was like, well, what happened? Um, and so it talked a little, talks a little bit how, um, Dorgar would, uh, consume, um, the souls of, of the vanquished, uh, even to the effect that in the souls that he consumed don't necessarily die. They, they sit around in his gut, 
um, and he, he talked about one that was called Athesia, um, who who Archeon dueled, and she was so good with a sword that he trapped her in Dorgar, and he comes back every once in a while to just gloat about how great his defeat was of her. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, and this was where, you know, each of the gods, uh, sent a demonic champion to take down Archeon. And, uh, as each was slain, uh, Dorgar consumed them and grew ahead, um, based on each of those, um, those champions that, uh, came after them. And of course, Slanesh was absent, so did not send a champion. Um, so that's why that's, you know, only three heads instead of four. Um, but just Dorgar has this, you know, just this different ability, um, and that has affected him. And, and you see on the model that he's got some, you know, kind of skulls and heads kind of poking out of him. And that, I think that's, you know, what this is trying to, to explain. Sure. Um, and so this, you know, he was, uh, just charging through the realm of chaos and, um, alongside him, um, were the Varengard. Um, and the Varigard are, um, you know, these, these champions of champions, um, that have tossed off the, the shackles have, have received a call from Archeon. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that has to happen. Uh, Archeon has to summon a champion, someone he's seen. And like we said before, he, he sees all of his champions. Um, and, uh, so they have to be summoned. Uh, they, they have to face trials and, and this was interesting. Just some, I, I just love the language that the, that they're putting out in these books. So things like, so the greatest chaos warriors, howling berserkers, devious change sons, befouled plague knights and paladins of pleasure. Um, yeah. you know, all those just create some really cool ideas for, you know, um, for, for warriors and different kind of models and stuff. Um, but there's, there's eight trials that, uh, that a, a champion has to go through. Um, they have to cast off their former allegiance to any single one of the gods and begin a pilgrimage, um, often called the walk of blades, the dark choosing or the red path. And these um, are unique to each champion, right? So it's not like, it's not like, well, everybody's going through the same eight. So grab the cliff notes, study up, get yourself prepped. Like it's it's <laughs> yep. new to each guy, right? Absolutely. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, something that they have to face to see if, if, and, you know, you think about, you know, Arkan, the, the, the master chess player, right? He's like, okay, here's the one. And I'm, and that he would have the time to design or, you know, some of his servants design a, uh, a trial, you know, eight trials just for one individual, um, is just kind of adds to that, those layers. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm you know, making too much of it, but it's pretty damn cool. Um, and it, it, this, this book explains the eight circles. Um, and it, but it also says that it's, there isn't like one circle isn't better than the other. They all serve different purposes. Um, and so it just kind of emphasizes that as well. So the first circle are, are the swords of chaos and they ride next to Archeon into battle. So they're his, you know, his bubbles, his bubble wrap. Um, <laughs> uh, this is actually a reference back. These guys existed in the world that was swords of chaos. Whereas the, the, um, the guys who rode with them back then, uh, back before there were eight circles. Yeah. Um, but since we're in, you know, we're in a new bigger, you know, realm, Dorgar is huge, so he needs more circles. 
Um, so second circle is the souls of torment. Um, they, they slay hope and bring despair. Um, third circle is the signs of darkness. They're black souled, unlike the rest of the chaos, yeah, uh, right, champions, exactly. which are like more like gray souled or, or dirty Brown. Uh, so I, I will say it, it was sold a little bit as, you know, here's the eight circles. They each have their own specialties and that sort of thing. And, uh, these are super cool, and we'll go through the rest of them here. I was looking for a little bit more distinction between the two, like, oh, maybe these guys are like the siege, you know, siege bosses, and these guys are, and it, some of them, like, this was a good example. I was like, well, black sold, all right, you know, how does that distinguish them from anyone else? But uh, still cool. Just I, I thought there was a little more room. That's to maybe that's the only one that I don't know as well. I think so. Slay hope, uh, bring despair. I'm thinking um, more ominous or fear bringers mm-hmm. um the reavers of chaos um they call them pillagers so i think of them as maybe picking apart um small bands of things or you know um you know those little outposts are just kind of going in and just like um i mean it seems like all of them are pretty thorough uh with their killing mm-hmm. but um in the fifth circle it seemed like they're maybe more assassins of heroes king slayers um, sure. called the scourges of fate um, they do tell a story of the sixth circle. Um, I don't know where I put that one. The weeping keep down below corn army could not take the keep and they kept bickering. So he sent the vanguard of the sixth circle who executed the entire host of corn. And when Arcan arrived, they used them as ramps to take the keep. And so the sixth yeah. circle is the, is kind of the fortress and army crusher, um, you know, siege, as you were saying. Sure. Uh, seventh circle are the Bane sons. And it seems like they're the ones who do, you know, kill the allies that, you know, he's betrayed. Um, like the enforcers or, you know. Yeah, yep. And then the eighth circle, which no nobody but Archeon knows the name of this circle. And they leave, not only leave nobody alive, but they leave no sign that there was life when they destroy something. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, even though it's vague and a little, you know, it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's an easy thing to go to, but it makes sure. sense, and it's it's cool to have it. It's a cool, you know, if you were um, picking up some Varengard, and, I mean, I would absolutely decide which circle my Varengard are coming from and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and try and play them accordingly. So um, it's just cool stuff to give you, yeah, it just gives you more to work with uh, in your armies. One of the cool takeaways I saw, there was a, they've got a, a call out quote, and this is from one of the guys from the seventh circle, one of those enforcers. And I thought this was just like, you know, brass balls on this guy. So this, this is a, somebody from the seventh circle, one of the Varengard, and he's talking to, seems like he must be talking to a demon prince or at least, you know, an emissary of, demon, of a demon prince. Says, Tell your demon spawn lord, Krangrath, that he do not care for his outbursts. The blood god may be appeased by skulls, but the ever-chosen demands obedience. Tell him that if he does not immediately deploy his armies to the cinderbite expanse, I will personally nail his wings to the Varen Spire and take his horns as a trophy, meager as they are. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> You uh, you better be able to back up that kind of talk if you're if you're especially if you're talking to somebody who's a, a corn follower like that's yep. Uh, I don't know. And I, I, I I really like that little bit of flavor. Yep. No, I think that they do a good job of. I mean, even in this small minute amount of text, just giving you a sense of what role the Varengard play, how important they are to, um, you know, what tier of of elite they are compared to the hordes of you mm-hmm. know of, of reavers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And the Varengard were the first to step into the all points uh, during what is called, and I don't know if I'd heard this called the Nexus Wars before. Yep, I've heard all right. points wars, the um, the eight points, um, et cetera. Um, and this was an interesting kind of you know note uh, that when they stepped in, they killed the eight lords of the all points um, and presented their heads to Archeon. So just this interesting idea that maybe there were um, people that were charged with holding those gates um, or, you know, protecting them. Maybe there's, you know, cities outside of them or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they mentioned too that, you know, Archeon, if they have been um, since Sigmar's retreat have been trying to get through the doors to Azir and if they succeed, when they succeed, um, the Varengard will be the first ones in and, you know, think of, of Azerheim and, you know, you think, oh, the, you know, Blood Reavers are coming and, or the, the Corn Berserkers. No, it, it's the Varengard that'll be the first ones in. Um, right. And so that's, that's not, that's quite the first wave, you know. And then we get to the other kind of war scroll in the book. And these are the Gaunt Summoners. They're an interesting, they almost seem like their own, you know, race or, or lineage or something. Um, they hail from the crystal labyrinth deep inside the realm of chaos. They're ro- yeah, and they're Go they're described as they're described as demons. Uh, which when I first saw the model, which I love, I, it's one of my favorite models that's been released for Age of Sigmar. I was like, oh yeah, this is a, this is a mortal dude. But they they're definitely described as, as demons in a in a couple of places. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, they're they're uh, they're weirdos. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're robed and faceless. They have a needle tooth mouth and helm covered in eyes. So those aren't their own eyes. Um, and they, um, they command gifts from Zinch. Um, so they, you know, they've each been gifted with, with abilities. They build these silver spires, um, uh, to conjoin the mortal and the chaos realms. And so it's kind of these, these structures that they build, which they seem like that they're different from, uh, the chaos, um, Oh, what are they called? The chaos towers, the, 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 the stuff that came out, the terrain stuff. Oh, there's a skull keep and yep. Yep. That stuff. So it seems like there might be something different. And in fact, um, one of the rumors going around, not to date, date the podcast, but, uh, is that the, the Warhammer quest or that whatever's coming out is called silver spires. And yeah, Silver Towers of Zinch is it's kind of a long running thing with GW. Uh, it's existed in the 40k universe and in, in the fantasy. Thing. Okay, like it's a it's an idea that has existed for a while. So, okay, um, so the Silver nice Spire is kind of still here. Okay, um, and so one of them is called the Whisperfane, a stronghold of nightmare and illusions. Um, and every warrior that comes in is driven mad, and every wizard ensnared in those their own spe- spells. Um, and um, it it talks about how the gaunt summoners obscure their own names, so they they kind of work from their silver spires. They conjoin holes into the mortal realms and work to to bend and manipulate humanity or or the realm, people and, and races inside the realms from the realm of chaos. They don't go into the mortal realms so as to to hide their identities and not let their names be known. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is, uh, important, um, because, um, that's how Archeon kind of 
gained their powers. Um, right. This is the thing. This again, talking about them being demons. This is one of the things that find like if something's a demon in this world, and uh, they knowing their true name gives you power slash control over them. So uh, this is what they're trying attempting to protect in Archaon. Um, as yep. as the guy who's managed to kill an immortal god by reflecting it back on itself, he he figured out a plan. <laughs> so he yeah, so he goes to the he sees the this, you know, I don't know, conclave of gaunt summoners inside of the Whisper Fane. And uh he sent uh Torgrax Murderkin's forces, you know, corn forces, and they ended up slaughtering themselves, butchering themselves. He sent Urglor Blackwell's uh, Blight Kings and they were reduced to pus and rancid meat. Uh, Zibble and the, his altar coven of Zinch uh, were mutated into gibbering spawn. Um, and while distracting the summoners with, so, you know, he sends these against them and it's kind of like, oh, that didn't work. No, that didn't work. But being Archeon, while he was sending those, what he was doing is he was observing um, the, the protections and the magics that were cast on the, the whisper fane and from those wards, um, learning the names of the, the gaunt summoners inside. Um, uh, and so while in his final assault, he, um, <laughs> he cast a subtle spell weaving their own names into it, which caused their magics to, not work and their fears to grow and kind of caged them in their own magic. So, you know, gave them a test taste of their own me medicine, um, <coughs> until he was able to kind of, uh, seal the deal by calling them by their names face to face, uh, as it were. Um, and so these gaunt summoners are enslaved to him. So it's not that they, um, you know, bowed to him like the other, his Varengard did. They're very much, um, slaves, uh, in the same way that we saw Zinch, um, you know, heroes and stuff acting in some of the other books, they're not loyal to him by choice. Um, right. And so, you know, they're Zinch. So they're going to, they're going to, you know, try and work against him here and there. Um, so that's kind of, um, you know, gives you a sense of, and, and back to where we say, you know, coming into the realms, and we said again that all um, victories belong to Archeon. All of the armies inside of the mortal realms that we've met so far, while they work towards, you know, they're not the Varing the Varengard are the ones who have to um, relinquish any, you know, ties to their to the four gods, you know, themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but all of you know, Corgus Cole, um, uh, Torglug, all of their victories belong to Archeon um, because he is, you know, he's the general. Uh, of all of these things. And so the, the Varengard and the gaunt summoners are those that allow him to, um, to manage that, I guess, you know, those are, that's this is middle managers, right? That's what we're right. Talking, right. Yeah. Um, so, um, then we get into the March of chaos. And so we get into the, the beginnings of, uh, the age of chaos. 
we get to the all points battle. Um, and there's still not a ton of information in this book about that. And I don't know if at some point we're going to have an, I'm assuming at some point we're going to have another all points battle. Right. Um, right. and so this is, this is Sigmar's strategy that he's coming back. He's, he's trying to secure a, a path back to the, to the, now it's called the eight points. It was right. renamed the eight points once chaos took it. But yes, yeah, yep. we're absolutely gearing up for this. Um, and so Nagash hit all gates at once and art, Nag- sorry, Archeon hit all gates at once. And Nagash's was the one that fell first. Um, and because of that, they were able to gain a stronghold. And further divide um, the the alliance, um, and it was the Battle of the Burning Skies, and where and we learned this in, in Galmaraz, you know, bits of this, where um, Archeon tricked Sigmar into throwing his hammer, um, and it was an interesting story in here talking about how Sigmar met the you know in his campaign to fight off um, the uh, Archeon and his armies. Um, they sent the greatest of the demon lords up against uh, Sigmar, and um, they were too proud to take him all at once, like to just gang up on him. And so they met him one by one, and Sigmar dispatched them one by one. You know, uh, and it gave them name uh, names: Angrath, uh, Feculox, Luxius, and Kiathanus. Um, I, you know, I, these names are never gonna probably never get used again. But I just well. Kiathanus is absolutely used again oh, in uh, yeah, we Balance did. of Power. That's yeah. right. And uh, for what it's worth, Angrath, uh, that is the name given to the uh, the huge greater demon you can get from Warhammer Forge. Uh, Interesting. So if you want to actually have that dude, you have the model. And All right. Just looking at the art, uh, reaching back to Galmaraz, uh, the other two look a whole lot like their Warhammer Forge equivalents. But yes we we may not see those again or we may uh, yeah. uh, again can't Kathanis shows up later yeah i stand corrected you're absolutely right i didn't connect the two but yeah and we'll talk about what happens to Kathanis. um so um but then uh Arcan steps up and uh with the help of zinch casts an illusion and cause and, and sigmar throws his hammer because he thinks he's thor and uh <laughs> <laughs> Arcan is, is actually an illusion in the in the the hammer gets lost. And we know that story. We talked a bit about, we, we've already, Sigmar has gotten that hammer back. Um, um, but as Sigmar retreats into Azir, uh, Archeon is furious that he's lost his prey. Um, and it talks a lot about how, uh, Archeon, like archetypically is, and you brought it up with the whole, you know, Sigmar sitting on his throne trapped in Azir and, you know, Archeon, never sitting on his throne, marching wherever the heck he wants, is that they're very much like the opposing forces. Um, and so certainly, I mean, if, if, if Age of Sigmar is uh, order versus chaos, it's because these two huge personalities are, you know, diametrically opposed and, you know, the yin to the other's yang, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and actually, not to, not to get myself in, in too much trouble here because I'm sure the, the tabled podcast that you referenced before um, gets into it a little more. You talk about these being diametrically opposed. If I recall correctly, back in the world that was, uh, Archaon may have gotten his start as a priest of Sigmar that lost his faith. So mm. uh, they they may be they may be tied super tightly together, and that yeah. that may be some of the source of this enmity. And there's some interesting in in um, in this book. They they I wouldn't say rewrite, but if you think of 
eons have passed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they talk a little bit about, you know, rumor has it that Arcan was born as a result of, of um, Sigmar coming into existence in the mortal realms kind of thing. Um, right. Yeah. You don't, you don't know how much of this, you know, you don't know if anything's been retconned or you know, like that. It, it's, you don't know what holds true. And I think that, I think that's a, a strength here. Like it, you're not supposed to have a concrete yep. certainty of who this guy is. So. Um, and, but it's also an interesting um, idea of chaos creating uh, the exact opposite of something mm. as good as Sigmar you know, quote unquote good. Yeah. The shadow This it's kind of a, so, um, and, uh, you know, even as the mortal realms were being reduced to savage tribes because, you know, castles are destroyed, et cetera. Arcan just continued to order for, you know, uh, extermination. Sigmar retreated back into Zir then. And, um, Arcan is just furious. And so focuses on the other, um, gods and, you know, they're divide being divisive and just one by one takes them out. Um, uh, and even as mortals, uh, are being reduced to savage tribes, savage tribes, Arcan's just trying to exterminate every last thing in the realms. Yeah. And this here in the battle tome itself, they, this is a lot of this time is kind of hit with the, uh, the sort of the pseudo timeline thing they do where they yep. have those sort of bubbles and it's all these different seeds. And, uh, this is, this is one of my favorite parts of it, you know, back in previous books when it was a timeline or this, where it's just like, here's all these different story seeds and which one are you going to grab onto? And I, I could take us down the rabbit hole here and getting into a bunch, but <laughs> straining through there, I, I found a, a couple interesting things, uh, in this one, there's a mention of a, a Kolgar Rorg of the first circle who actually gets raised to demonhood by corn which I, it made me kind of double take because I, I thought these guys had only devotion to uh, Archaon at this point. So uh, it it is it is apparently more complicated than just uh, the straight up. But uh, yeah. it was, again, it was just kind of a throwaway. Like, oh, uh, interesting. I wonder what that all means. And then another another big thing it talks one about is uh, one of his few defeats uh, was in the Umbral Deeps in Ulgu, which is uh, the realm of shadow, where he went to go learn more about the mysterious ruler there. Uh, so just uh, which we can presume is Malarion. I, I think that's who we think it is. Um, sure. Uh, but uh, that's one of the realms that and uh, Hish. Uh, it's one of the realms we just don't know very much about. And here, so anytime I see it, see one of those mentioned, you're like oh okay, you know, here's yeah. something going on. You know, yeah. So um, uh, again, lots of lots of good stuff in those sections. Yeah. So here's the point. Um, we start talking a little bit about. Um, the entrance of the Stormcast. Um, mm-hmm. And the way it kind of plays is Archeons, you know, on the other side of the realms uh, or something uh, when the Stormcast hit. And he knows about them pretty fast. Um, this isn't, uh, you know, um, kind of back to those kind of uh, board meetings that they have. You know, they just conference call in, um, just constantly getting um, supplication and people coming back with their trophies and that sort of stuff. And probably seeing a, uh, drop off in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their people aren't meeting their sales numbers. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, so, he, so he knows about them pretty fast and he's actually happy to see them. Absolutely. Yeah. One, cause he's, he spent centuries trying to figure yeah. out how to get into Azir and now somebody just opened the door, right? Yep. The door's open. If, if they're here, that means I can get in. Um, and then two, a worthy opponent 
because he's just been slaughtering sheep for so long now, right? Um, and so um, he's he's pumped. Um, and uh, what he does is he, knowing that, he sends kind of, he doesn't send a lot of good stuff against them. He just kind of sends the chaff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get back to, you know, thinking of like in the first books, all of the um, blood warriors and the blood reavers, you know, those aren't his big guys. That's just slowing down the storm cast and giving him time uh, to, to test the strength of his enemy, etc. Right. Exactly. Just like he did when he grabbed the gaunt summoners, he, he sent a couple yep. waves to, uh, to gain information. And this is, this is a guy who clearly operates on having the right information to make the, you know, the right moves. So, yep. um, that's how he, that's how he kicks off this. So all those, all those initial victories are, are, you know, him kind of initial victories of the Stormcast. He's, he's using them to learn. Yep. Uh, you know, what are the strengths and weaknesses? Yep. So yeah, he says, you know, it says that the frontline generals, you know, I imagine someone like a Torglug or a um, Corgus Cole are, are asking Archeon yep. to provide him with the right tools, the Varen Guard or something like that, I'm sure, saying, hey, send in the big guns so that we can, you know, destroy these guys. Um, but this distraction and, and kind of feeding the the lower um, mortals, the slaves to darkness, um, it gives him time to build his strength and get back to, you know, kind of muster his strength in the all points. Um, so, um, the, you know, and that's kind of where, where we, we've seen a little bit into in, in, sorry, in, um, the ever chosen book where we're at, there's a couple of, uh, what's cool about the book is it comes with some battle plans. Now, yeah, there's there's three battle plans, and these these kind of flesh out some more of what's been going on before the Age of Sigmar. So we're still in the Age yeah. of Chaos for these. So. And, it, and it's important to note that these to be played well, I think, really need Archeon. Um, and, I mean, their their battle plans really fit for you know putting that model on the table. You know, so you have cool stuff to play yeah. with when you buy the model. I I agree. It's certainly certainly the Cage of Bones is is defined by having both Archeon and the Gash. I think yep. I think the the War of the Spider Empire and uh, under Chaos Tainted Skies. I think those can still play out. Like I, I think those are more adaptable. But the War a quick rundown. Of this. Yeah, the War of Spider Empire. Um, there's a need to claim these tunnels on uh, that the goblin spider goblins, the force goblins were in. Um, yep. and so they needed, but they were unable to clear out this, uh, nest. And so Archeon comes yeah, in to claim the tunnels. There's these fortress cities in the, in the realm of beasts in Gur that they, they have not been able to breach. And it turns out they could go underneath, but in order to do that, it turns out there's, there's, a these huge spider colonies uh, so if they can clear that out then they've got a, a back door into these other cities so uh, really the uh, the spider goblins spiderkin goblins they are they have the misfortune of being in the way of Archaon's ambition <laughs> absolutely um, and then the next one um, this one is super interesting um, the cage of bones is a mm-hmm. clash and this is this is since um, uh, it's I don't know. Did we decide? Were you able to kind of after bringing up the point decide where it is between? It's certainly after um, Sigmar has in the Stormcast have landed. Um, I, I actually don't agree. I, I think it was uh, when I'm looking at it, it says it's as Sigmar is readied his Stormcast Eternal. So I don't think they've I don't think they've landed yet. I think okay. uh, 
I guess, but uh, not 100% clear. You, the converse of that is you may be right because if Nagash is active, what we already saw in the audio dramas that uh, prior to the Stormcast arriving, Nagash was, was pretty dissipated. So so this uh, this is possibly right before the audio dramas? It could be right. Be- well, and that, that doesn't 100% make sense to me because he's he's not... He's not destroyed here. He's not banished. He, you know, he, he kind of right. Nagash ends up fleeing. So the timing of this doesn't doesn't quite uh, play out. And I don't know if it's if it's just a lack of coordination on the continuity or or if uh, I'm missing something here. But certainly, what, what whatever would be it is, the most is happening? What would be the most interesting to you? <laughs> uh, I think what would make the most sense if it was just after. So let's let's go with that. So I don't know if that's the case. So, so after the audio dramas, then this happens, you think? Yeah, because okay. if, if Nagash is mobile, like it's certainly at the beginning of the audio dramas, it's saying, it seems like Nagash, Nagash is barely there. Like he's, he's super dissipated. So. You know, that's convenient for the order in which we're telling the story, right? We're covering it. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> after Nagash has, uh, we're just going to plant this in. After Nagash mm-hmm. has uh, captured Tarsus and all the Stormcasts have gone back to Sigmar, um, compl- you know, talking about how you know their their meetings with Nagash went. Um, yep. Nagash it's canon now. Yep. Check it out. Nagash is pulling his armies together and is trying to make a run onto the Cage of Bones. Now, the Cage of Bones mm-hmm. uh, was something that Archeon constructed after he destroyed the realm of of Shyish and his last battle with Nagash. Um, yeah. It's specifically a fortress built out of Nagash's armies. Like he bound them together mm-hmm. and it is like, you can't have your armies. I'm going to turn them into a big fortress and they can't get away. And yep. they're mine now. So which yeah, cover or, or tied together with um, chaos iron mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. you know, that sort of stuff. So Nagash is coming for, for his, uh, his big building of bone. Um, yeah. And um, it was really interesting here is that Archean goes into this and he sees Nagash and he says, I'm not going to be able to defeat Nagash. I can't hit him with my sword or, you know, destroy him with fire. Um, and so there in the story, in the fluff, he recognizes that Nagash is different apart from him is of a mm-hmm. different power level. Um, which is really interesting. It's, it's, you know, you don't think of, I mean, obviously, he doesn't have to fight. He doesn't choose to fight one on one with the chaos gods. So I'm sure mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever thinks, "Oh, I could take corn." You know, he probably yeah. knows his place in that regard. Um, but it's interesting to to see that he can. He's so confident. He knows exactly what he needs to do. But he's not too proud. Um, and it mentions this too. Both of them, he you know he wants to go and and you know Nagash is trying to do something that you know that he wants him to to be submissive and to be you know kept in his place but he doesn't let his pride get in the way he doesn't let his ego get in the way he he becomes you know he's strategic he does what he needs to do he gets his you know his forces to do what they need to do in order to 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 win the battle mm-hmm. um and so he's fighting against nagash and i think um uh, you know we were talking about it. it's a little i mean this is the campaign story so uh, maybe they leave it a little bit vague but um nagash ends up retreating from this um, I think seeing that his the armies he was trying to raise as much ar- of his army as he could from that space, um, and was just it wasn't happening fast enough, um, mm-hmm. and uh, was overwhelmed by chaos, and had to uh, you know exit, and so therefore surviving, but certainly not sure. with as much of his um, 
forces as he'd hoped to. Yeah. And I've read, uh, there's made mention in a couple of places that it feels like during the age of chaos that this may have had to happen a a few times. It it talks about, you know, Mm -hmm. Arcan's always keeping an eye on Nagash because Nagash is always trying to bounce back. Uh, and so Nagash is that thorn in his side that he can't quite get rid of, but he, he, he figures out how to come and beat him back down again and again. So keeping, keeping the lid on, on Shyish by making sure that, Nagash never quite breaks out. Yeah, it doesn't get to full power and doesn't, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm sure that would be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we've got under, under Chaos Tainted Skies. And this is, uh, um, uh, again, kind of there's this ancient portal that um, a gaunt summoner is trying to open up called Palador. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a gate directly to the realm of Chaos. And he gets interrupted by a slon named Lamka. Um, and so there's a battle between the two sorcerers. Uh, obviously, with the slon has this army of remembered uh, Soros warriors. Um, and that's where then Archeon comes in to try and um, keep the, the Gaunt Summoner protected while he's performing this ritual. And it it's this interesting... The, really cool picture of this um gate and like there's just a million gears and like workings yeah. underneath the surface yeah. um, so this is happening in the realm of metal right yep. so uh it, yeah it's cool like underneath the surface it's all mechanical like it, it was a neat just the the image on this on this page is a very cool imagining of the of the realm of metal and i think this scenario as a whole is a is a pretty cool one they've got a mechanic for attempting to um open the portal versus defeat the other uh, caster in the duel. And I think it's very representative of this sort of idea that the realm gates are, are crucial. I mean, we are in the realm gate wars, right? So Absolutely. I think if, you, if you're looking to recreate something uh, from this current time in, in the Age of Sigmar, I think this is, this is a great scenario for that. Um, we haven't had a chance to try it yet, but I, I think it would be pretty fun. Yeah. Now, um, the... Those are these are the pieces that are contained inside of the um, ever chosen battle tome. Yep. But um, out of balance of power, there is another story um, that that kind of shows us where almost you know more up to date of where Arcan is, and we thought sure. we'd pull that one too. Um, and that one centers around Kianthus. Oh, it takes place in the realm of metal, um, Shaman. Specifically, Golgith. It's this. Or, this is this is a great example of how they can they can really do this. You know, whatever your imagination thinks up. So, uh, Golgith is an orb. It's almost like a, a moon or something that exists in the in the realm of metal. And then it's a magical lodestone. And then inside it is another uh, is is a territory, a land where where people are living. And uh, it's. A- Another case of of like kind of that realm within a realm kind of feel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just it it the sort of infinite idea of these realms. Like, there's so many things going on in them, um, and e- even just you know, so realm within a within a realm. Just again, the throwaway ideas. The same reason I like the uh, I like those timelines. I love these pictures because they'll just have little. It'll literally be like. You know, they had a city on there it was Perambulus, the scuttling city. That's all it says. It's not mentioned anywhere else. I'm like, that's super cool. I really like the idea of that. And just those sort of 
imagination sparks that that uh, really make me enjoy the background. Anyway, yeah, not to get too far down, but uh, <laughs> back to the battle, the battle of burning skies. Canthus, this lord of change that was defeated by Sigmar. Uh, each of these, each of these greater demons, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> Each of these greater demons were, were punished for their failure. They're punished in their own way by their own gods. And Canthus's punishment was to have his name broken up into nine parts and scattered across the realms. That they're scattered across. This is an interesting. They're scattered across the seven accessible realms, so everywhere but Azir. Uh, and then also into the realm of Chaos and also into the Void. So the Void is something that we haven't... I mean... Uh, yeah. The, the Seraphon or living Anyway, so... Over the over the realm of uh, over the age of chaos, these uh, Canthus has been attempting to manipulate his way to getting his name back, uh, pulling all these sigils back to himself, and and it's cool. So these these um, Lord of Change, he has these this future side. He's he's known as the Oracle here, but because he's split apart, he absolutely has to tell the truth. Like he he's not able to lie, which is. And which is like and, the worst torture for a uh, for a lord of change. And I think some of that has to do with that part of his name being known. Um, right. Back exactly. to that thing, so that the humans that are inside of this um, orb, that's one of the landing sites of his name, mm-hmm. and they're up there asking. They they see the you know this thing land, and it becomes mm-hmm. a place of worship. Um, mm-hmm. They start asking this thing for advice and knowledge. And it has to yeah. know, tell the truth, um, but whatever version of truth it wants to tell. Right. So he can't lie, but he can tell the truth in a way that he's able over the centuries to manipulate back. And he, he gets them to uh, go and unleash all these different sigils. And so at the at the time of the Age of Sigmar, as as uh, as the current timeline in the uh, well, current at the time of our recording <laughs> here, uh, balance of power. Uh, he's only waiting on one sigil, and the Stormcast inadvertently released that uh, from over in Akshi. And so that last one is making its way over, and Sigmar notices this and says, uh-oh, and uh, sends his his thrice-proven Hammers of Sigmar into the breach. Vandis! Yeah, exactly. The, uh, <laughs> and Vandis, I mean, Vandis is a big deal, right? Like, he was the, yep. he was the first through in the gates of his ear. He was the, he, he found the, uh, he found Galmaraz, he returned that, so... Yep. Uh, this is this is uh, Sigmar sending about the best he can he can dig up to to go shut this. So clearly, Sigmar recognizes this as a big deal, and uh, unfortunately, so does Archaon. Well, and that was interesting because here's where we get a little bit into the Gaunt Summoner too, and I, I mm-hmm. where there is um, and I didn't I didn't catch all of the pieces of this one, um, but the there was a Gaunt Summoner there and. And was kind of at odds with the people that were there trying to get knowledge from this. Um, and it, it seems like all of the Gaunt Summoners or many of the Gaunt Summoners knew that um, this um, Lord of Change was here. Right. And didn't want Archaon to know that it was here. Right, exactly. And because this Canthus, not only is he an incredibly powerful Lord of Change, but having had his, uh, his sigils, his name scattered across the realms... All that represents different consciousnesses who've been watching all these realms. So all of a sudden, he's he's one of the greatest sources of knowledge. Yeah, that was. I think that was my realms, so. my favorite part of the story is that because his names existed in all these realms, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and the void and chaos, that all of the secrets of these realms are un, are known to him, 
and kind of pulling all those names back to him. Yeah, he ha- he knows everything. He knows yeah. the secret to to freeing the realms. He knows the secret to you know crashing chaos. He pr- yeah. he probably like literally like talk about a MacGuffin, <laughs> you know, of just right. like can if Sigmar got this and it says very clearly whoever would be his ally would be able to to do whatever, you know. Right. And this is super suited to Arcan, who we've already seen. Like he's he's not just a brute force guy. Like he, he makes his bread and butter off of being smart, off of making the right play. And so getting this in the hands of Arcan, the big bad, that's that's super bad news. I I really like how the stakes get established in this section of the yep. book. Like this is a big deal. Like who wins this? Well, so both and both the Gaunt Summoners are trying to keep it from him, but mm-hmm. he knows that they probably know where this is, and at some point. One will slip up, and that's mm-hmm. what happens. A gaunt summoner seeks help from another, um, someone he thinks he can trust, um, but because you know there's enough of a webway of communication that um, you know those that are loyal to to Archeon are able to you know let him know, and and a gate to this place opens up in front of, front of Archeon, and mm-hmm. he just travels through and yeah. sees that the stormcast are there, um, and. Right. Uh, um, and so on. So the particular Gaunt Summoner here is known as the Watcher King, which I think is a pretty cool name. Yeah. Uh, but he's, so he's holding off, he's trying to hold off the Stormcast Eternals who ride the Hammers of Sigmar are laying siege to this uh, Mount Cronus. And he's trying to buy time until that last sigil is making its way, it's burrowing its way through the out, outside of this sphere. And he says, you know, if I can just buy enough time, it's going to happen. And he's summoning hordes and hordes of demons uh, at one point, he tries to summon Scarbrand, who is currently occupied uh, elsewhere in in um, in this book. And instead of pulling in Scarbrand, Scarbrand kind of does a scream of rage, and it, it sends the Watcher King into a frenzy for a little bit, where he jumps over and stabs a prosecutor in the headbone with his uh, with his little dagger, uh, and managed to bring himself back under control. He's like, oh, oh man, and he figures out like the ever chosen is coming. He's like, oh, okay, like I I need to get some information fast, and um, I included this specifically here because yeah. it was it, it's an interesting point here. So he he asks the oracle, this is Canthus, who is you know all there save one sigil. He says, can the ever chosen be bound to another's will? The oracle replies, he can. In truth, he was corrupted long ago. Then how? What secrets does he most seek to hide? The secrets of the past, the name he used when he was a champion of light, a name that still burns with injustice and injured pride, burns so fiercely he could be turned against the gods once more. Very interesting as far as huh. where, where this could or could not lead. Uh, and then the Watcher King learns Arcan's true name, which we don't get to find out. Uh, it just says that he does. And he says, oh my gosh, you've got his true name. If, if Arcan ever becomes a demon like this, I can have control over him. And uh, the the oracle says, "Yeah, but to to know his name is to die. Uh, good luck, little sorcerer." <laughs> and then Arcan arrives, and it's it's bad times for everybody. <laughs> um. So the yeah, there's a to to cut through the it doesn't work out for the for the Watcher King, uh, and yep. and that one of the scenarios is about uh, catching the Watcher King, uh, chasing him down. Um, and then, uh, Vandis and Archeon. Yes. Right. So, Ar- uh, Archeon managed to secure the sigil. So he's got control of Canthus. He says, all right, I've got what I came here for. I've, I've banished this 
impudent watcher king back. Uh, I should take off, but and then he, his attention is caught by this Vandus, right? And then we've already established like Vandus is this shining peregrine, paragon of the Stormcast Eternals. Uh, Archaon turns and says, "You on the half dragon? What do you call yourself? Why not come and find? Why not come and find out, Cowar?" Uh, and Arcan's like, no respect. Dorgar, you shall dine well tonight. And you're like, <laughs> what is, is like, he's looking at the best of the best from the Stormcast. He's like, yeah, no respect. Like, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, he doesn't. Um, I wonder if, does Vandus know who he is? He would have to know, right? I feel like he must. You know, like there's, uh, they they may not have encountered him directly yet. I don't, I don't know, but yeah. he, he must be known by reputation. Yeah. So. Uh, but it certainly does a, a, a juxtaposition of of Archeon and his controlled nature. Um, and not that Vandus is uncontrolled, certainly with his visions and stuff like that, it makes him a little less of a known factor sometimes. Um, but, mm-hmm. but still kind of, even though he's been training for hundreds of years or a couple hundred years, still a youth in comparison to, um, you know, right, right. To, to Archeon. Archeon is interested but he's he's not threatened right yep uh, so a duel ensues and and this is actually one interesting thing about this and they have a time of war for this as well uh but it's occurring this place that has all these gravitational and and time anomalies so people are speeding up and slowing down and and uh gravity is working in reverse at times and so there's there's some there's a pretty fun you know vandis is hurled from a cliff and then managed to maneuver his way into a reverse gravity well and goes shooting back up and uh, he he pops up behind Archaon and and uh, Kalinax is is Dracoth is is tearing into uh, tearing into Dorgar and you're like oh man like this this might actually happen look at this like Vandis is gonna you know win the day again and uh, Archaon just like almost inconsequentially turns and you know just chops him into and it it happens in slow motion like they're in a, a time warp and. It's one of the few times that you've seen like the storm. All there's this big groan of despair comes from the uh, hammers of Sigmar as they as they see this happen. Just you know, that their best of their best is is uh, trivially trivially killed, split open. They can see everything inside. You know, it's it's a pretty gruesome death. And and uh, you know, although he may be reforged, it's it's a it's a. I mean, he will be reforged, but it's it's a big deal. Uh, and not only that, but as the energies are leaving, as he's getting arced back up to reforge arcan reaches out reaches a hand into those into that blue lightning and wherever he plays his hand through the energy there's pink sparks uh start flying so i wasn't sure there is he is he was he able to corrupt in any way or was he you know what what consequences will that have it, it might be nothing yeah. it might be substantial. yeah certainly on the lowest level it's just that he could play with it it was you know yeah so inconsequential to him or just interesting um right maybe you know maybe dis- discerning some of the secrets of it the same way nagash was doing um but right. at the worst yeah like you said it could be corrupting it i mean pink uh that's zinch right yeah. uh so maybe yeah. he's changing it in some ways um, yeah no that's interesting and then for salt in the wounds Dorgar turns around and, and straight chomps the head off of kalanax so that and i don't think the as far as i know those dracos don't get reforged so that's a that's a true death there for, and Kalinax has been there for the, the pivotal events so far in uh, Age of Sigmar. So. Yeah. I haven't read the extremist book. Um, there may nope. Be. Neither, and that, that may reveal yep. more 
there. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Yes. For right now, we're supposed uh, to think at the very even if he does somehow. But right now, what we know is that Stormcast Eternals go get reforged and uh, Drakoths do not. So it's a yeah. there's impact for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, this is this is really establishes Archaon as you know he's he's bad and he's he's good at what he does uh, and that's that's being being the bad guy here um, and it's a lost cause for the rest of the Hammer Sigma they're wiped out to the man Ionis is the last standing and it closes with Archaon was roused to war and there was no force in the mortal realms that could stop him and. Uh, I, I so the reason we include this is to just really kind of establish the role of Archaon in in Age of Sigmar. Absolutely. So he, and, he comes out of this having defeated, you know, one of the premier storm hosts, and uh, and he's got control of Kianthus too. Yep, so, thwarting his own the people trying to backstab him within his own ranks. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. So he's certainly on top, and uh, it was a it was a fantastic um, to get this point of view and and kind of especially on the other side of spending so much time rooting for the, the storm cast, uh, to kind of root for Archeon a little bit. It was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was rooting for him. So what's next? Uh, we've spent a lot of time with the villain. Let's uh, spend a little time with the heroes. The hero phase. In the hero phase, we turn our attention to those of you who want to get started in the age of Sigmar or share this game with your friends. So um, we were thinking a little bit about this phase and, and how, do we, um, how do we get some games started? What's some good ways to um, get some people into the game um, or you know, try and get other people that maybe have know about it, but trying to get them interested in that sort of stuff. And one of the ways that I've been kind of opening up conversation with getting a game uh, has been saying, hey, uh, kind of starting with, um, instead of, you know, starting with, Hey, how many points do you want to play and assuming, you know, what, what's, what you're putting on the table and that sort of stuff is instead starting with the scenario. And I think it's pretty natural. I'm probably not the first person to, you know, you know, do this. Um, certainly, you know, first thing you say is, Oh, I want to play with somebody, but these scenarios can create, not only they give you a game to play, but they're a story to tell. Um, and when you're, when you're seeking a game with somebody else, a friend or another player or somebody who hasn't played the game before, etc., it's I think it can be an advantage to start with the story that you want to play out rather than the game you want to play. If that Absolutely. makes sense. Absolutely. You know, when we, when we talk about uh, you'll you'll hear generally people seem to agree that the game operates better when we're playing with a scenario. So on on top of giving yourself a story, you're giving yourself uh, hopefully the optimum play experience uh, rather than that. And I, I think when you create that story around that particular game, which you can do so much better with a scenario rather than a lineup and fight, uh, it, it'll help a new player say, you know, say it's, you know, say it's a breakthrough. The new player's like, oh, well, I got to get to the other side of the board instead of like, well, I guess I just have to like try and kill every single model on the other side. Like it, it gives them, it kind of, uh, gives a cliff's notes to here's here's what the here's what the goal is for this game um and so i i think it can help 
Yeah, I mean, can help clarify what you're getting after, you know. Absolutely, and I think in general, story is what we're drawn to. I mean, and and for a new player, I think story is is sometimes more attractive, and for a more diverse diverse range of people that you may want to be introducing the game to, story is going to grab people's attention way more than mechanics are or um, uh, rules, right? If I can say, right. hey, I would really love to play this, um, I, I want to play this game, and here's, you know, my force is trying to get this artifact across, past your force into this uh, gate so that we can, or into this spot so that, you know, I can save the day and rescue the, you know, whatever I'm trying to do. Um, and I need your force to stand up against me so I can, you know, you play these guys and try and stop me from, you know, getting getting my artifact through the realm gate, um, you know, that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. It's a more compel. It's it's almost more like saying, "Hey, do you want to sit down and watch this movie where these guys, you know, that sort of thing?" It it just it's a more, I think, inviting way to to start the conversation. Now the uh, sure. the other side of it is, I think, um, is uh, what I've been doing too is saying, "Hey, I like this. I'm really interested in playing this scenario." Or this game. Here's what the the story is. Um, you here's what you can bring. Uh, bring this, 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 and I might reference um, one of the comp systems for points. Or the other day, I just said, "Hey, bring two units, bring two heroes, and a monster." Um, that would be something that we could play, and it just gives you. Um, it kind of starts taking some of the decision around. Not that you, somebody who enjoys, you know, if somebody like enjoys this, this game and knows it really well, they like making all those decisions. Um, but maybe it's somebody who doesn't know it very well and needs some decisions made quickly, so it's easier to mm -hmm. say yes and easier to say I can do that um, mm -hmm. instead of well, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to play? Just kind of assume some some decisions and see if they like it. If they don't, they can change it. Um, but uh, some people like when some of those, you know, what we're going to play is chosen for them. Um, and they've got a jumping place to start from there. And they can just worry about their army from that point. Sure. Uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be as explicit as choosing from, like, ha having that suggestion, having that starting point. And, and I think I think it's important to have sort of a, a pocket full of starting points, you know. So here's a number of scenarios that uh, that we found that work pretty well because uh, some of them some of them work better than others some of them work better with particular armies than others some of them scale better than others uh, and so you can you can do yourself and your gaming group a service by trying out a bunch of the scenarios with people who are um, who are able to give you that uh, good feedback on hey here's some things we could adjust about this and then have a set of like here's some good ones that are gonna uh, they're gonna work with a new player they're not they're not overly complicated they don't include too many things they do tell a clear story they're visually compelling uh and then knowing which ones you know like uh i, I played the the ambush scenario and it's really set up with the idea like it's it's supposed to represent the uh sylvaneth uh ambushing the forces of nurgle in in giran before uh, before the age of sigmar breaks and the the stormcast eternals arrive well, that scenario played with an ambushing force that doesn't have any ranged attack is not particularly interesting. And so because some a lot of the initial special rules are, are involved with that sort of, you know, you've, you've entered a killing zone, you're getting shot up uh, before you're also charged. And so knowing, knowing the strengths and weaknesses of individual scenarios, then you can say, okay, you know, what army are you bringing? Oh, I see you have, you know, 
beastmen that that have no range whatsoever. All right, so you know I won't put them as the ambusher because that won't. You know what I mean? Like you you yep. you kind of figure out which uh, which scenarios play to what strengths uh, with your set, and then uh, have those available to uh, act as sort of intro games. Yep, and I think. Um Sometimes uh, what I like uh, about, especially where we're at right now, is sometimes when you say, "Hey, let's play this scenario. We haven't, I haven't played it before. Let's just go and try it out." There's something definitely fun about, you know, almost every game potentially being a new experience, right? We've got mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. scenarios and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, after each time we play a scenario, there's definitely, like you said, things where you're like, "Well, this scenario really could it may it may need some adjustments." Or you just need to know what kind of army to bring for that scenario. So, um, right. you know, that's exactly it. Yeah, so. and and you know, you and I were playing. Um, I don't remember what the it's it's the scenario based again in the um, balance of power where uh, the branch wraith of Valerial is trying to get the seed to the the burial ground, um, and so. One army has to try to get past another army, um, and the way that the 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 scenario is set up is that one of the two by f- uh, four, two foot by four foot sections is placed long ways, so you have an eight foot long part of the board um, and a narrow two foot gap to kind of get into. Um, and when you and I played it, we weren't we hadn't played it before, and we were like, okay, let's play it. And we I was playing a pretty slow Stormcast army and you're playing a pretty slow dwarf army. And so getting that much distance out of, you know, four or five rounds was difficult to do. It was, it was still a really fun game to play and move around Mm -hmm. and be tactical and that sort of stuff. Um, But having the goal be, you know, four feet away, five feet away was difficult. So Mm -hmm. either, but being able to, you know, if it's somebody that you know is going to be able to roll with it and experiment with you and that sort of stuff, then, you know, going with brand new, you know, scenarios that you never played before and experimenting is great. But uh, I'm definitely, you know, next time if I want to play that scenario again and I'm playing somebody that may not be as comfortable with that, I'm going to have a few tweaks for it and I'm going to say, hey, make sure you bring some, either some fast stuff um, or, you know, uh, you know, something more durable than dwarves, you know? Right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So this, yeah, I, well, man, that was a good example of how I've, I've been spoiled with the mobility of that slanish force. I was like, I'm I'm so slow. What's going on? Yep. Um, And that would have been perfect. That would have been perfect with your slanesh being trying to, to get that, that artifact, um, you know, it it would have been a, it would have been a very different game. Uh, And this scenario we're talking about is breach of the line. It's uh, page 156 in balance of power. But, and we're talking about like tweaks to the scenario, but it's also tweaks to, so you're seeing what uh, army this, this new player might be bringing and saying, okay, like that might work well. He's got a real fast army. It might be fun to do breach the line, see if he can bust through. But it also uh, helps you dictate your own army, right? So um, if you're, if you're setting up for the scenario, like, all right, what I've played the scenario already. I know if I bring this army, it, it might be something of a non-game, you know. So it, it just knowing your scenarios helps you 
helps you build a better game. And then we've talked about that concept in the past with this, with yeah. this uh, Age of Sigmar is, is trying to make sure the other guy has a, has a fun game. And so the think, more information you have to build off of, the more you can do with that. And I think the last point on this for me would be like, as we were heading to Wapaka, knowing the scenario that we were going to play ahead of time, mm-hmm. it played in my head a long time prior to the games. It built a ton of anticipation for me. And so I would say, if you're going to, you know, certainly if you're going to, I guess this is again, another antithesis to just rocking up to the game club on a Monday night or Tuesday night, Thursday night and saying, let's just pick a scenario and go for it. The antithesis of that would be, you know, go ahead of time, you know, three, four days ahead of time before you're getting together with um, friends. And so maybe the, you know, maybe the Chelton war chiefs or the, the, the Derby war gamers can, uh, can tell us if they do anything like this. You know, put out the idea of a scenario three or four days ahead of time so that you mm-hmm. can choose to be the defender or the attacker so you can right. build the force that you want to play that scenario and be able to be thinking about the scenario ahead of time. And again, if they're a new player um, that you're trying to get, knowing ahead of time, hey, I want you to be the attacker, which means you need to be a fast force um, mm-hmm. and you need some heavy hitting, but you also need to be able to get past things. Or What are some of the things that they need to be thinking about? to get them excited, to get them energized and that sort of stuff, to get them into the story. Um, I really appreciated that with that kind of knowing ahead of time and having that time to think about what I could be doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so just to summarize it, I think what we're talking about here is, is get to know a lot of the scenarios and build yourself a library, sort of a mental library of the scenarios for, for what that way you can, you can match a scenario to, to the player, um, be it somebody who's brand new, somebody who's uh, played a little bit, or, or somebody you play a whole bunch with, you know, that that uh, that can help you build and make make good games within your community. Absolutely. The hobby phase. In the hobby phase, we want to stoke the flame of creativity for hobbyists and find shortcuts and easy entry points for new gamers. So in this episode, we're talking about the Everchosen, the model who graces the front of the Grand Alliance of Chaos. And it got me to thinking here, one of the, one of the celebrated uh, aspects of Age of Sigmar is the fact that you can pick and choose. You know, we, we've talked about this before, like, I want to have a Saigor in my army. Bam, I've got one. You know, I don't have to do a whole Beastman army in order to, in order to include a model I like. Uh, but this raises the challenge. It's not that it never existed before, but it raises the challenge of how do I how do I get a diverse force looking unified on the tabletop, right? Uh, in in chaos, this pops up where you have you know. So if you've got the ever chosen overseeing a chaos force, well, corn looks distinct from Nurgle, looks distinct from Zinch and Slanesh. So how do I? how do I let them maintain their distinct character, but still look, make them look like a unified army on the, on the force. And, you know, this applies to any of the grand alliances, which could have some very different models, uh, sharing the same, sharing the same general being, being in the same force. So we're going to do a little, little talk about how you, how you could, uh, theoretically put, put together a, a force that, uh, seems like it's from a lot of different pieces, but looks like a, a, a single whole. So, I. I mean, we were talking about a little bit. Um, what's the one thing that all models, regardless of what faction they come from, have in common? Uh, well, they're all sitting on a base, right? <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Um, so, and, and, you know, we've got 
different sizes, different, uh, you know, um, we've got ovals now in the army, so a little bit different, but curves. Um, but the, the base is definitely, I think the, the first place to start. And we've got, I mean, I think one of the first things, questions I ask myself is, well, what realm do, mm-hmm. does my army come from? And in that, you know, say, okay, well, my, this is what my base of that realm is going to look like for, for this, uh, for my general. And so, you know, that's, that's one place to start is what realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what realm, what part of that realm? And it goes a huge way to, uh, pull in different models together as if they're, if they're sitting on the same base, same base color scheme. And like you said, we were talking about what realm is this army going to be for a lot of us that are still rebasing some legacy armies at this point. Uh, this is a good way to tie some things together. So this is a good point to sort of think about where you're going to, where you're going to bring that to. So. Well, and I, uh, I've been thinking too, with that is even, uh, you know, as I, as you're building out your table and you've got, um, you know, your boards and what you if you end up putting any kind of texture on those, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, building uh, a death table of, you know, full table of death terrain and a table of, of beast, um, terrain. And as I'm building models, I'm, my basis for some of these, I'm saying, well, I've got, I could put some in death and I could put some in beast and can I get them to match what my table terrain would be as well. And, mm. you know, even if, um, for instance, um, my, my rats are in the realm of beasts, uh, they're, they're a molder tribe. Um, and my ogres will eventually be in beast as well. And I could certainly put them in two different parts of, of beast, um, of Gur, but would it be cool on a table if they're fighting each other and they have the same bases, even though they're the opposing armies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. but so, yeah, I mean like, you know, do you have a table that you're working off of? That'd be really cool to match. Right. So, so this is, this is the simplest thing is, is the bases that the next, next step is trying to figure out, well, I'm not going to paint my corn berserkers exactly like with the same exact color scheme as I'm going to paint my, uh, my slanish force and I, and I bring this example up because I'm, I'm looking at the looking at the bloodbound force right i've got some of the starter set i've got a couple other uh bits and pieces and i'd like to put those on the table i have some ideas about putting that together and I, I, at first i was thinking well i'm just gonna make them their own distinct force and i was thinking well i'm gonna do this bone art you know they have some example uh, paint schemes in the in the battle battle tone bloodbound there are some cool ones with bone armor spattered with blood and and uh I was thinking about going that way, and then uh, I heard uh, old uh, Rotor from Skull Bros had uh, had come up with the the same scheme, and he's going to do it way better than I ever could. So I was like, "All right, well, back to the drawing board, right?" Uh, and I was like, "Well, what if I what if I do want you know what if I want to go with the idea of this sort of ever chosen force, or where I've got multiple gods working at the same time? I still want them to look like their own chaos gods, but how could I tie them together?" Uh, well, with my slanish force, I'm using a particular skin tone for a lot of the the, the beasts. It's this sort of uh, pale blue blended up to white uh, to give that. You could you could use the one color that you're using already in the one, bring it over to the other, and then you have that that common color, like a, a sort of dominant that I use that white. Perhaps use that on the on the skin tones for the corn force or the bloodbound force, and then give them their own distinct. So use that pale white give them some black and bronze armor, put some blood spatter on them, 
but that white kind of pulls in the air, ties it together. Is like these guys between their bases and their skin tones, they belong to the same army. They look like they, you know, they look like yeah. they could stand next to each other and be part of it, but you can still tell them apart. Like yep. you can tell, like, oh, well, this guy's a marauder of slanish versus this guy's a marauder of corn. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, if I were to put together a chaos army, and I, you know, I've got some started, but if I were to plan one out where it was like, okay, I'm going to use some from each of the guys, do a ever chosen force. I would probably either um, paint their skin in the color of their god. So corn guys and gals would have red skin. Um, mm. You know, Zinch uh, would have their blue skin, uh, Slanesh purple, Nurgle green. Um, and then unify their armor. And so they're all mm-hmm. got black armor with the ever chosen symbol on it. Or sure. I would go the opposite way and I would unify all of their flesh to be, you know, a, a certain tone, a, a a flesh tone or a, a, a some sort of monochromatic tone and then let their armor match their individual god um exactly you know sort of thing so yeah some 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 sort of way where all you know besides the base that all the models have a similar paint thing or you know yeah just this thing that unifies them regardless of um you know of which which god that they they serve that there's this one thing that just kind of ties them together Right. And this this is a strategy that works well for, for someone like me who started a Slanish army without really having the intention of including other gods in it. But, you know, now that Age of Sigmar has arrived and that is a more feasible thing to do or you know, it would just be fun if, if I can expand that force out bigger than we play these bigger games, have a, a grander scope. Uh, this is one that you can, if you can find a way to adapt your existing color scheme, uh, just kind of tweak it a little bit, then you can uh, add on things. Now, if you want to go a step even beyond this and, and plan it out before you even get as far as, as I have, you know, if you're if you're going from the outset, you can you can go even even deeper than this. And this is this is an example where Eric, uh, your existing armies or some of the armies that you're you're brainstorming through uh, can play out a little bit. Yeah. So, with the undead um, needing to kind of, I mean, one of the things is obviously I was trying to pull from all these different races, and so how how do you unify that, right? I mean, so I was, I guess I was already kind of, I was ahead of my time, you know, trying to unify factions. <laughs> yeah. But the, the central theme was bone, right? Everything had bone on it. Um, and then, you know, the, the elves had some green, the, the, um, you know, some other races had some other things, but then it was, I had the same kind of olive, dark olive all the way up to the bone color for every model. And then that mm. splash of red on their armor that unified them as a part of, you know, um, the, the Raven Clown force. Um, and then with the, the rats that I'm doing, um, the most recent, so just simple conversions is, is my, in my head, because all of the monsters of chaos are at my disposal and I have a molder clan of rats. Um, in my head, I'm like, well, what if they try to take a manticore or a chimera or um, right. something and tried to like reverse engineer it and add some rat stuff into it. And so um, I've got some rat chaos spawn, you know, that have um, some of the rat heads from the um, abomination kit. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, can I take, you know, some of the, some other head from, I know that the vermin Lord kit has a ton of different heads, um, mm-hmm. sort of one of those heads made it onto, I think I did see a, a Dorgar with a vermin Lord head. 
Um, yes, that was super cool. Um, you know, so, so something like that where, you know, you can take some of those pieces and, and make a chimera or, or a slaughter brute, um, just a little more ratty, um, Mm -hmm. to, to bring it into the force. Um, you know, yeah. So things like that where, you know, and you can probably get Skaven pretty cheap. What if you, you know, took your, your, uh, blood reavers and put little rat heads on them or your blood, you know, your blood warriors or whatever, you know, like corn them up or, um, that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, how, how can I take that rat theme and, and kind of infect everything else as part of that unifying, you know, and actually my, my, with my rats, I've got units that are all different colors. I've got greens in there and oranges in there and, and another units, you know, different colors, but the, it's the, it's the rat theme that's starting to unify them rather than the color scheme. Right. Exactly. And that's potentially the more ambitious because it requires more planning and, uh, a skill set that, you know, just the conversion side of things. But, yep. uh, if it's something you can pull off, then it, it can be the more dramatic, um, dramatic way to go. So, yeah. Um, so obviously, yeah, age of Sigmar, when with, especially with these grand Alliance books where it's, taken factions and made them smaller so that you'll go and buy these four kits and have a new faction. Um, it's, it just begs you to get, to pick and choose whatever you want, um, from the, from the tomes. Um, uh, well, I guess my last, I, you know, going back to color, I just added, uh, this is the thing that I forgot to, to mention in the earlier, but, uh, I just grabbed some, um, oh, what are they? The Drakes, uh, the Dwarven, I got the box. Oh, Iron Drakes. The Iron Drakes um, as a shooty force to add to my Stormcast. Um, and mm. so I used the same kind of armor scheme. So, you know, if you had Astral Templars and you wanted to add uh, dwarves, then you'd have dwarves with, you know, a base purple armor with gold trim, um, et cetera. Mm. You, know, um, sure. uh, you know, doing that sort of thing uh, with them. But Like you know, a Stormcast Auxiliary or something. Yep, yeah. exactly. Sure. Um, so... Um, but the Age of Sigmar wants you to, to, to get a lot of things and mix and match them together. Um, right. And, and it, it's more important than ever, I think, that to, to kind of find those little things. And I think the threads can be thinner than they mm-hmm. used to be because yeah. the story fills in the gaps. I mean, the story literally is so far has, you know, you've got easily got chaos versus chaos and even, you know, ever chosen versus ever chosen, I would think, uh, with Gaunt Summoners versus, you know, Archeon. Um, mm-hmm. and you've got, uh, in the latest, um, audio drama spoilers, um, there's even some potential for, I haven't listened to it all, so I don't know, but even potential for Stormcast versus Stormcast if ideologies don't mix or, you know, some are not as devoted to Sigmar as you would expect them to be, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, what are the subtle things you can do to tie your army together? You know. Yeah, and if you need some inspiration on that, I mean, one of the one of the things that kind of sparked me on this idea was I was I was looking through that, uh, I believe it was the Grand Alliance Chaos book, and they had some some alternate paint schemes for some demons. They had a uh, it was specifically they had a plague bearer in there, and that plague bearer was was a pale bluish white, and then the sort of diseased portions were purple. And I was like, oh, this really looks a whole lot like the scheme I've been using on the on the slanish like there that is that is a plague bearer that would look i mean it looks rotten it looks uh, but it's it's not the usual one you're used to seeing and it would fit in just great alongside uh my slanish 
forces and and still looks clearly like a like a plague bearer so yeah you may be able to dig around and see some paint schemes that um are are not the traditional but might might be able to uh, bridge that gap for you here's another one for you you could get corn guys who are just so fighting so much that they're all bruised up yeah and they're sure. then they could be all purple and stuff too yeah there you go all right yeah, yeah. maybe not as interesting but <laughs> Um, I mean, that's the way you get a little creative with it, experiment with a model or two and see where you can go. Absolutely. The campaign phase. All right. Well, welcome to the campaign phase where we talk about when the plastic hits the table. We got Brad Schwant on the line here. It goes by at Relian on Twitter, Relian in many a place. And uh, we're going to chat to him. Neither Eric nor I have gotten to put the Ever Chosen on the tabletop, but Brad has done so a number of times. So welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks for coming in. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Fan absolutely. of your show. Absolutely. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, so I'd like to uh, give a brief rundown. I, I was living down in Texas, and I was, I was still aware of you having, having never played uh, just from uh, listen to podcasts and that sort of thing. You you do get to a lot of tournaments. Is that is that uh, an accurate representation? Uh, yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, um, my wife uh, plays Warhammer, plays a lot of Warhammer, and uh, we both have a bunch of armies, and we travel all over the place and play in tournaments. Uh, more so in 8th edition, but um, still continuing in Age of Sigmar. We've been to a few GTs and have uh, three or four planned for this year. So, yeah, we're we're tournament regulars. Yeah, Eric got to throw a whole bunch of skeletons at uh, Andrea's Celestine Prime back at PACA, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah? Uh, that was one of my regrets of uh, Wapaka, was I didn't play in the Age of Sigmar tournament. I was playing Malifaux instead. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was uh, I think it was hard to go wrong with any any uh, event there. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, so we're going to talk to you a little bit about some of the events and some of the games you, you've played with. But uh, tell, tell me first what... Uh, what got you thinking about um, putting Archaon, the Ever Chosen, on the on the field? Was it was it the model? Was it the rules? Was it a little bit of both? Or what what got your brain thinking about going this way? Uh, well, I have um, all of the large GW like End Times kits, uh, except for Thankwell actually, and I'm a huge Skaven player. Oh, so I have I, I have. Uh, um, I have Nagash, and last year's Wapaka, before this previous one, um, I brought a full Nagash army to the last, uh, the End Times 8th Edition tournament, so I had about 6,000 points of undead on a very <laughs> large display board. <laughs> I was going to say, a full Nagash army is like three full armies, so yeah, it sounds Yeah, better. it was, definitely. And then I've got, uh, I've got the Glotkin uh, sitting around waiting to be painted, so... I've got all these big GW models, and I saw the Archeon model, and uh, I knew I had to buy it. So, I, I just on a whim, I was like, "Oh, well, let's start looking at looking at the rules for this guy." Oh yeah, he looks pretty good. Yeah. Oh, the Varengard, Varengard looked pretty good. And then a week later, I had an army of uh, Everchosen. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it'd be fair to say that Brad's approach to games is go big or go home would that i think that's that's the impression i get i would say that's fair (laughs) (laughs) well and and what's what's nice about that though is i think that uh you know in the community um uh, it's always when these new kits come out and uh 
you know, you get to see how big they are and how cool they are. Everybody, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people wish they could have them. Um, and it, so it's always cool, um, especially if you follow Relian on Twitter, getting to see those things come to the table. Um, and then you usually put quite a bit of miles on those models too. They don't just sit on a shelf somewhere. Um, and part of the reason we're having you here is because now you have, you know, probably as much experience as anybody with Archeon on the table. One of the few projects that uh, that I kind of let sit and didn't use very much um, after I kind of rushed through them and, and t- painted them up for a tournament were my uh, my cast demons. And I did them in a, a purple and green theme uh, mm-hmm. for Zinch and Nurgle demons. And with, uh, with this new Everchosen release, I painted them in the same theme. So now I've kind of blended the armies together through the Age of Sigmar Grand Alliances. So now I have a, a much larger... Uh, purple and green chaos army now nice yeah so we let's see besides we were talking just a little bit before you got some uh term of time in and of course the the prep for that um took them to holy wars and then a local event or i should say an event was it up in michigan or where was where was the uh second uh yeah actually i i just realized um i played in a holy wars primer locally uh-huh. then holy wars and then another recent Adepticon primer. So I've got about uh, 12 tournament games in with Archeon and then a few other practice games uh, because we play weekly. And then those those two primers were at uh, Flatland Games in, in Wixom, Michigan, which is um, about uh, kind of central southeastern Michigan. Okay. Uh, so I like to put it in context because people listening could be listening from anywhere. They could be uh, you know, someone who just plays against one other guy or someone who plays in, in tournaments, were those all using a particular comp system or, or do you use cross uh, span a couple with that? Uh, for the Holy Wars primer and for Holy Wars, I was using Clash Comp. Um, mm-hmm. And then for Adepticon, they are using SDK. Mm-hmm. So they're playing 1800 points SDK with 750 points for your summoning pool. Okay, all right. Uh, what does that translate to for your army? Is it is it roughly the same for both, or were they dramatically different? Um, it's it's quite a bit less actually for SDK. Okay. Um, although I did uh, the rules were different in that I can I can summon more through Holy Wars and I start with more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little more restrictive in that you have to have models on the table, whereas. Uh, I can play my list uh, as I want it, kind of bare bones. Archeon and the uh, and the Varengard just pushing forward with all of my Varengard, um, and then summon up the other stuff that I I might have had in my in my Holy Wars list. Okay, uh, for those who and I know the the rules are free, so anyone who wants to can hop on the website and take a look. But let's let's give a quick rundown. So the core of your army is Archeon and the the Varengard, and we don't have to go rule by rule, but. Give a, would you be willing to give us a quick overview of uh, what Archaeon's bringing and then the, the Varengard? And maybe you can uh, you know, specify with how you've equipped your Varengard and, and why, um, as far as that goes. Sure. Uh, Archaeon is uh, pretty much the definition of a centerpiece model. He's got a 160-millimeter uh, round base, and he's about 13 inches tall. Nice. And uh, he's a big 20-wound character. Um, with 12-inch move and four different attacks. Uh, the key being his Slayer of Kings, mm-hmm. if, it, uh, if it wounds and rolls two sixes, it automatically kills whatever it's fighting, if it's a hero or monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not actually happened yeah, yet that was, at that all was my next in question, any of my yeah. games. 
do you do you uh, come close, or was there, uh, there at least a? I imagine any time, any time he's uh, inflicted two wounds on a on something, or you know, scored two hits on something big, then then uh, the sweat's starting to get on the other guy's forehead as those dice are coming down. So, I've uh, well, he hits on a two plus, so oh, he usually yeah. has all four hits. Sure, wow. Um, and I, I still haven't still haven't <laughs> done it. <laughs> well, and I I imagine even if you don't hit, like just being able to tell your opponent. This is what could happen. Yeah, um, adds adds a ton of flavor to the to the table and to the you know the game. And even if you roll one six, I mean that, like you said, Davey's sweating. But afterwards, you probably that person's probably telling some stories about how they almost got one shotted. Yeah. Uh, well, that so. is uh, that that's why I've been writing uh, uh, South Coast GT comp lists for upcoming events mm-hmm. with a uh, Kairos Fate Weaver in my side. Oh yeah. Because, <laughs> He's allowed to change any die to, to whatever he wants. So, yeah. now, just an option. Just an option. <laughs> and are there any um, are there any models that you've paired it with that give it any bonuses to wound? Um, I think there are some corn abilities that uh, give bonuses to wound, and I I I think I could work that in there because he has all four chaos marks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another benefit that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but the list that I'm running is so fast. I think those guys yeah. would fall behind. You would outpace um, them, sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple more rules for him. He's uh, incredibly defensive. Um, he has a rule called the Eye of Shirian mm-hmm. that uh, I have forgotten in all twelve tournament games I've played. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's one of his best rules, and I, I've never used it. Um, at the start of each of your turns, you roll a d6. And uh, whatever that result is, any rolls to hit against you of that um, number that actually hit you have to be re-rolled. Wow. So if you mm-hmm. roll a 4, 5, or 6, your opponent has to re-roll anytime they, they hit a 4, a 5, or a 6, depending on what you roll. Sure, yeah. And, and yeah, I've, I've <laughs> I forgot it every single game. Rough. Um, he's got armor that if he rolls a 6 for an armor save, uh, he does a mortal wound back to you after saving it. Um, is it which makes him, him very difficult to pepper down with small arms fire? Sure, because you start taking stuff back at yourself. Um, oh, nice. Okay, and d- does that one actually? Does it specify like before modifiers? That's uh, one of the few that I might. I'm not sure. Maybe not. But uh, before modifying the roll is a six. Before modifying the roll, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see a little more of that because there's there's a. There's some confusing things about exactly how rend or cover might affect those for some of the people that, you know, have an effect on the six on the six hit. I, I think that's a good way to to put that into play for him. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an ongoing debate in different circles. Yeah, and sure. You play it a certain way, but we don't need to go into that. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's an hour long discussion. <laughs> I, I, I've heard that discussions like that on air can often spark crazy conversations online. <laughs> Uh, let's see. He also has a uh, Chaos Rune Shield, which gives him a five, five up save against mortal wounds. Yep. And that, um, when you got twenty wounds, that's a big deal because that that uh, uh, you know that that adds up to a lot more. You know, it's effective thirty wounds from mortal wounds, right? So, I still I still think mortal wounds are the best way to attack Archeon. Uh He doesn't like Nagash has a four up, and on a six he rebounds mortal wounds. Mm. Archeon only has a five up, and by saying only has a five up, that's a bit ridiculous, but <laughs> yeah. uh, that's still the easiest way I think to attack him. Sure. Um, 
And then he has a couple more rules. Uh, Crown of Domination, he can add or subtract bravery by two if you're within ten inches. Mm-hmm. So that that's pretty good uh, for my Varengard if they actually lose some models or to uh, try to finish somebody off. Right. Make then, sure uh, not one little dude is hanging on and, and uh, scuppering your plans. Right, because then I, I, I want to be able to hit something, wipe it out, and then move on the next turn. Otherwise, my entire army is two really big units held up by some chaff. Mm. Um, yeah, I got some skeletons that'd like to meet them. <laughs> I, I, I think he could kill... Well, I know the Varengard can kill 30 skeletons in a single combat phase, but I think Archeon might be able to. Alright, I need a few more skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got a couple extra special abilities if his, uh, his three heads of Dorgar kill stuff. Um, he can heal himself, he can learn spells and he can spit uh mortal wound venom have, have you found and, yourself and, uh, using one more than the other or i i use uh the filth spewer almost every single time mm-hmm. because i rarely uh kill heroes or wizards mm-hmm. straight up with the heads it's usually uh um with the slayer of kings because i want to try to uh kill them in one shot or sure. um I just kill them outright with wounds before I even get to the head's attack. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the old-fashioned uh, way. Hitting them <laughs> over and over. Hit him with the sword. Sword to face. And then uh, he's got the same command ability as the old Archeon uh, in that he allows all of your command abilities on the table to be used. All chaos command abilities. Yes. So this is, isn't it, like, because he's so big, uh, such a big chunk of points, it's it's interesting. Have you... Do you have other command abilities sitting on in your in your army that you've been able to actually make use of this? Or uh, one currently. Okay. Uh, I've been toying with the idea of different corn abilities, but I play with a Nurgle Lord on a demonic mount, mm-hmm. which uh, his command ability grants. Oh, extra durability! All, yeah, yeah. All nar- all Nurgle marked units within uh, a seven inch bubble ignore wounds suffered on a 5-up. So it's like an additional 5-up ward save for Archeon and for the Varengard because uh, Archeon grants the mark of Nurgle or any mark uh, each turn to it's a Varengard. Yeah. I, that's that's a, that's a nice one. I hadn't I hadn't thought. The, the best one I had, not, because I play Slanish, obviously, is one that jumped to mind is the, uh, the uh, Slanish Lord on a Demonic Mount, which uh, gives a second pile in. Uh, that seemed like a nice one to tie in. Make make Archaon himself pile in twice or something for extra craziness. That is stop giving a, him ideas. That's <laughs> I, I no. just wrote it down. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not even joking. I just wrote down Slanesh and underlined it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't sorry, everybody. Any of those, uh, you know, you take a a lord or a yeah a chaos lord in any of those marks, and you're getting some pretty cool command abilities. Well, and it's a pretty yeah. rare thing for uh, anyone to be able to use more than one command ability. I, I, the only other place that comes to mind is I think dwarf, dwarven longbeards can uh, unlock multiple command abilities in that. But uh, and I'm sure there's another. I think one uh, what's his name uh, Cetra can do it as well. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, but I, yeah, I had I I played against uh, Tyler Mengel of Mengel oh, Miniatures nice. this weekend. At our, our our Adepticon primer, and he was using Cetra. Okay, that was uh, that. That looks like a beautiful army online. I'd love to see it in person. So. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm never one to to shy away from a name drop. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 all right. So uh, very cool. How about so? I know just me skimming the the Varengard when I saw them. I'm like, oh, they look pretty cool. And man, they get super cool with Archaeons on the board. Is that 
Um, let's let's give a quick rundown of those guys. Uh, real quick, when Archeon is on the board, uh, he gives these guys a couple of good abilities. Um, he's able to mark them, so I give them the mark of Nurgle for the extra durability from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, he adds one to all hit rolls, so they're hitting on twos um, if he's on the board. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, he also allows you to re-roll charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he gives the Varengard a re-roll for charges if he uses his uh, command ability. Yep. And um, in addition to those special rules, they're they're just straight up five wound, ten uh, inch move monsters. Um, like I said, hitting on twos. I use ensorcelled weapons, which gives them six attacks per model, and then additional three with the horses, so nine attacks per model. Oof. And concentrated in a pretty—I mean, they're large models, but that's that's—it's uh, not like that many attacks spread over you know nine models. It's that's a tight uh, spot that they're all pouring in from. So uh, yeah, so they're they're uh, they got some decent ren, but when you're using the ensorcelled weapons, they're only single damage. Mm-hmm. So I, I really I clear the field with those guys, mm-hmm. and then I send Archeon at the multi wound, really tough stuff. Sure, makes sense. So you take the ensorcelled for just the number of dice, then the number of you get to roll to to hit. Yeah, just just massive amounts of attacks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, one other thing I forgot is that uh, both the Varengard and uh, and Archeon have uh, an ability that if they if you cast a spell against them mm-hmm. on a four up, they just ignore the spell. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Man, this. I mean, there's a. A lot of just magic saves on those guys. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty pretty good. Yeah, because you like like we said, okay, the way to hurt Archeon, in my opinion, is mortal wounds. But you, you can't use bolts against him because he ignores him on a four up before he even have to has yeah. to decide if he wants to uh, dispel it. Sure, exactly. Wow. Yeah, so that's uh, that is quite the package, especially if you get them both on the table at once. What what uh, what do you support them all with? With other choices, um, for Adepticon, not much <laughs> because uh, I, I really i I kind of made a little bit more of a competitive list for Holy Wars, mm-hmm. and I will be making a more competitive list for uh, Blood in the Sun. But while it's very good to have Archeon and a whole bunch of Varengard, um, the list is very one-dimensional mm-hmm. and is not amazing for uh, scenario play. Mm-hmm. But I'm just running Archeon and six Varen cards, <laughs> all in one unit. I, I I was testing out whether I wanted to split them up and go for like scenario dominance, but it's just so much fun running six Varen guard in one unit. Yeah. That uh, I'm just gonna <laughs> smash them into stuff and roll a ton of dice and lose on scenarios. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I mean, I guess the other side you were saying mortal wounds. Um, is one way to kill them. The other way, and I mean, joking a little bit about skeletons, but, um, and this is kind of to the question of, you know, you're running a elite army, fewer models that each does, you know, is very powerful models on their own, um, which I think a lot of the community is asking, well, does that mean we're going more towards, you know, just armies that are elite, fewer models, and that's it going forward. But I mean, I feel like the, the other kind of side of the spectrum is like we were saying with the your choice of the ensorcelled weapons is sometimes if you can just throw a lot of dice at um archaeon or varengard that uh 
you know, and make you roll a lot of saves, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to lose a lot of saves. Um, and so that's where maybe, you know, you know, take a horde of zombies against him. Uh, you know, is that something that, that you think is a good counter for um, some of these elite armies is just masses of bodies? Depends if he's got uh, oracular vision on him, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the other component of my, my list is I have a chaos sorcerer who, uh, who, grants the vision for one unit to reroll ones uh, and mm-hmm. the spell so they reroll to hit to wound and armor of ones. Eric's familiar um, with that spell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I put that on Archeon and the Varengard and then I put Mystic Shield on both units so they're two up rerolling one. Um, <laughs> if it gets off. Yeah. If it doesn't get off, um, for example, against Tyler, um, he he ran a, uh, a unit of only ten... Uh, not the not the or grave guard, not the grave guard, but the tomb king ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, the, the tomb guard. Tomb guard. Tomb guard. Yeah, he ran a unit of ten tomb guard at Archeon and put like six or eight wounds on him just from loads of attacks. So nice. Uh, yeah. I don't think he had smiting on. I think he just got really oh, okay. good rolls, and I had some bad armor saves. But um, but yeah, that was only ten guys, and it was uh, rank and file troops just putting mass attacks on him. Um, yeah. He didn't he didn't kill him, but. Uh, he did the most damage to him that day, mm-hmm. and the previous time that I've lost Archeon was to a unit of twenty Chaos Chosen of Zinch. Um, again, just uh, just massive amounts of attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I threw Archeon at a Chaos War Mammoth. Just I wanted to see if I could <laughs> two sixes, Get the sixes. Yeah, be kill amazing. it in one shot. Yeah. <laughs> and then he got uh, he got flanked by the Chosen and, and kind of swarmed down. Oh man. So is that is you've lost them the once to those chosen? Have you have you lost them any other times or? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. Um, right. Not yet. I, I expect it'll happen. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a game uh, where Nagash against the odds uh, he gets past his four up ignore, yeah. and then he gets the spell off, and I fail to dispel, and then fifty fifty and just hand of dust. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm sure it'll happen <laughs> one of these days. That, that'd I be can't, pretty cool. I can't roll two sixes to save my life. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> now, go ahead. Now, a lot of people, what I've heard, you know, in playing some of these big models is, even though they're crushers, some people will play them a little more conservative, um, as they can, you know, sit in some terrain, you know, command of their army, dish out wounds from afar. Is Archeon more of a, you know, kind of push them forward and try and get in the fray? I know you said you kind of use your Varengard to kind of open the way for them, get some of those high, um, you know, you know, horde units or, you know, a lot of attack units out of the way. Um, is he kind of a push forward guy or is that your style or do you think that's um, how he's meant to be played? I uh, I don't think I have played a tournament of Warhammer um, where I was not almost hyper aggressive. Um, even when I played Skaven, I had a decent amount of war machines, but I would push forward large blocks of assassins um or excuse me, storm vermin with assassins, mm-hmm. um, put death frenzy on them while supporting with magic. Or um, I used to play. I had a different Warriors of Chaos army before, where it was aggressive with skull crushers. Or um, my demons were like that. Basically, I deploy him on the twelve inch line and move him twelve inches straight forward first turn. So it's like, come at me, bro. What are you gonna <laughs> do? And it's uh, it's it's both good and bad in that. Um, it really puts whoever you're playing on the back foot and you know what your stuff can do. And unless they're 
um, very experienced, they might throw the wrong units in, or they might throw everything in and pick the wrong unit to fight first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like uh, I've played him enough that I have the advantage over most players who I, I believe probably don't have the experience against something like that. Right. And uh, I, I can pick the right situations while still being aggressive. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you play aggressive and he fits that really well um, and, and kind of doesn't let you down uh, in that kind of play style. Uh, unless my magic dice let me down, he usually does not. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it sounds like uh, it sounds like got a fair number of games in here. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like his lose condition is kind of tends to be the uh, the scenario, just because he's there's there's so few of between him and his Baron guard, there's just not much left on the table to to uh, contest scenario. Is that is that what you found? Is that accurate or? I, I feel that's accurate, and as it should be. Yeah. Um, scenarios are, are mostly balanced for well-balanced armies to do well in, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're playing a huge super character and a very tiny elite list, um, while you're able to crush people with those models, you're at a disadvantage for scenarios. So you really have to kind of balance it, or um, you have to kind of keep that in mind when you're playing and building your list for this kind of extreme list that I've got. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that seems like an interesting check and balance for Age of Sigmar in that, you know, you, it, you're you bringing one of these potentially, you know, game-breaking or, you know, forcing somebody to take a lot of models off that in some scenarios, especially in a friendly game, could be demoralizing. Um, but because you're playing to a mission, because you're playing to an objective, often the sting of losing models is is softer because you're gaining your the point is objectives or the point is the story or point is something else so it kind of leaves you gives you room to smash face and play the way you want to play um but give somebody who maybe is playing a different style kind of an opportunity to still have a great game and have a lot of fun and have awesome models on the table i think that's a great point and that's um in my opinion that's exactly what happened at holy wars um my my first two games were um, pretty good just smashings in that uh, um, the second game wasn't much of a game. The scenario was kind of against my opponent. Uh, the first game, I, I smashed him up, but it was still really fun in that we played the scenario, and he, he told me he felt like he was in it um, until the end, even though I had Archeon flying around. And uh, in the final four games, um, I thought even... I ended up... Well, first off, I went three and three at Holy Wars. Um, and the three times I lost were because of the scenario, um, because I, I either didn't have enough to score the scenario or um, maybe didn't play it correctly, because just flying forward and smashing stuff with Arcan wasn't going to get the job done. And and each scenario, I knew that was the case, um, but based on kind of the limitations I put on myself by taking such a huge and expensive model under the, uh, the composition systems, um, I just wasn't able to do the objectives for those games and they were still they were competitive games even though uh maybe uh i i did tons of damage to my opponent i still lost the game because i didn't complete the objectives Mm. Uh, that's cool i mean it's what i think uh, we experienced you know what you're you've mentioned how you've played other big models at tournaments and stuff not only does i I think it's nice that it makes that uh, more engaging for the person on the other side but that's kind of, you know, 
I, I played ogres, um, you know, kind of the in and my first army, and the meta around here had kind of like a little sore from ogres. Like everybody just kind of gotten beaten on by ogres, just a little too much. And so there was this little bit of like guilt on my part when I just was the only army I had, and I'd always like pull my punches because it was just a little bit of sourness towards it. And, you know, I feel like that could be what happens with these big models is some people could just feel a little sour about them. Um, but it, it's, yeah, it seems like potentially this, this check and balance means that we're going to see more of them on the table and it's going to be fun. Right. It's, I, th- I think it's much better now in uh, age of Sigmar than it was in eighth edition because eighth edition was very much a, um, a push it forward and, and win by killing your opponent game, even though, Lots of tournaments did have scenarios. Um, I don't think they were in such a way as they are now in Age of Sigmar where the objective is the scenario and it's very different than just rushing forward and killing your opponent. Um, Because I I know I used to be able to just rush forward, uh, try to table my opponent, and then get my scenario points in the last turn or or three. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that's the case now because a lot of the times uh, scenarios are split up kind of based off... um, current tournament organizers experience with Malifaux and infinity and uh maybe war machine where you score throughout the game and you have to have lots of scoring units um you need troops to accomplish your missions so i think i think we're kind of in the phase of a very different game with these scenarios and battle plans that um there are lots of different ways to play right now and and they're all fun for everybody i think for the most part well i'll say one thing one fun factor it sounds like you know, reading through the background, like Eric and I have been doing, uh, Arcan really is the big bad in this uh, in this universe, the Age of Sigmar universe, and he seems to play that way. Like he's he seems like he's a he's a bully on the battlefield and real hard to remove. He's not one of those sort of like ah, actually he's you know way easier to take off than you'd expect. Or he, you know, it, it's it's one of the cool things. There's a lot of models that seem to play like you'd expect, and he he seems to fit that bill too. Well, I'm still looking forward to him dying uh, in the tournaments and everybody gather around and cheering yeah. and, and jeering versus Archeon. And, yeah, uh, I, I know that's that's happened in the past for, for Nagash. Uh, so it's it's all it's all part of the fun. Like when he dies and the other guy cheers, it's like, oh, man, good job. Yeah. Yeah, did, uh, well, it feels like now – well, I was just going to say it feels like now it's a little more because uh, – we want him to lose in the story uh, because he killed the world that was, uh, as opposed to that the player, uh, you know, the players being uh, bringing this model over, you know, so it's less personal now. It's more about the fluff. Well, who's to say uh, we're not going to finish the Realmgate Wars and the game suddenly is called Age of Archeon. Ooh, I love oh, it. I never know. know. Yeah. They could change it. <laughs> uh, quick. We're, we're, you shut uh, your mouth, man. <laughs> <laughs> Did I did any of these um, packs allow the use of battalions at all? Um, just a note I jotted down. Unfortunately, SDK does not. Mm-hmm. Um, Holy Wars did, but the Gaunt Summoner uh, had not been released in time. Oh yeah. So looking at that, so Lords of Chaos. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been looking at that. It's uh, even more ridiculous. It is pretty insane. Um, basically, the formation allows you to choose the initiative roll every turn instead of actually rolling um so you decide who goes first each turn yeah something like that right i think it's a uh, roll you you know what it's going to be the the other guy doesn't this is kind of cool and then there's like the extra double pile in in there as well 
the double pile-in is, is uh, once per game automatically. That's okay. nothing to do with the battalion, so that's even more killiness with those guys. But uh, they do have an ability where um, the Gaunt Summoner can mark a unit per turn, and the Darren Guard get to reroll to hit and to wound. Against yeah. That yeah, incredible. So until the next hero phase, so you get a full turn of rerolling to hit and wound against that unit. Oof, and with all those dice already. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll bring it to a close here in a second. I just want to see, are there any other uh, highlights or, or great moments you wanted to touch on from, uh, from your experience with him? And this could be in, in tournament or out. Uh, two things. Okay. Um, one was... Uh, saying screw it i need to go for it when i was holding arcan back a little bit too much like one turn longer than i thought i should have and i pushed him through some deadly terrain and i rolled a one uh <laughs> but i used my <laughs> tournament reroll because holy wars had tournament rerolls and i saved arcan's life oh man from uh from instantly dying from 20 <laughs> wounds to zero because he charged through deadly terrain. Jeez. um if i didn't have that i probably wouldn't have tried it but if i had rolled two ones in a row he would have been gone oof um, and yeah. the second was uh, my opponent uh, looked down after a combat with um, some Wrathmongers versus my uh, my Varengard. I was like, oh man, I really should have piled this guy in. And the next turn, he piled him in and was within three inches of Archeon. Uh-oh. <laughs> so that Varengard killed a model. My opponent pulls off the model who was within range of Archeon. Mm-hmm. And made Archeon tried to commit try to commit seppuku <laughs> with the Slayer of Kings because uh, it made him attack himself. Yeah. Oh my god. My, my opponent hit four times, but he also did not roll two sixes for Archeon to instantly kill himself. That is the Wrathmonger <laughs> dream right there, though. Like that is. There's. I, I thought it was phenomenal. I was. I was on my feet, just I couldn't wait. I was like, "Oh my god! If you roll two sixes right now, it'll be so worth it." <laughs> All right. Oh, that would have been a great story. That would have been great. Well, what? Uh, just a quick off the subject, ever chosen? Are you what? Are you? Uh, it sounds like you're bringing this to Adepticon. Is this? Are you sticking with this project, or what's the what's the next army brewing in your head? Or is that? Uh, uh, I actually. I just uh, I just purchased and I'm starting to build a a Sylvaneth army um, nice. with four tree men. So Durthu plus the uh, Guardians of the Deepwood formation, where you get to bring Wildwood and teleport your tree men through the woods. So oh, again, fun. even though yeah. it's it's uh, Wood Elves and tree men, it's still very aggressive because first turn I have four tree men within nine inches of your army. Sure, and that's a gorgeous model. That, that's fun to put down. So. So yeah, I've been I've been converting those guys because they're all uh, they're all very similar. So I was uh, repositioning and remodeling uh, all the Treeman Ancients so that they have different positions and are unique models. Nice. Well, Eric, did you have anything else you want to touch on, or? No, I think um, you know. Well, one last question from a previous episode: Where does Archeon, when not in play, where does he? live inside your house i have a uh i have a large uh about 14 inch deep tupperware container that i have epoxied a metal sheet to the bottom of and he's magnetized Uh, he doesn't even on the mantle he doesn't even fit in my display case (laughs) wow 
But he's uh, not like on the on the mantle or in the middle of your dining room table holding the napkins. Guest room. No, actually, uh, when I was painting him, he was on the the coffee table in the living room, and my dog uh, stabbed his face on his spikes and yelped. <laughs> so, for for everyone's safety, he's he's put away. Uh, for the rest of our own good. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I thought I'd take a shot there. All right. And, uh, see if see if he was truly a centerpiece model of the home. <laughs> no, uh, Nagash is front and center in my uh, my cool glass display case, and he barely fits uh, on one of the shelves. <laughs> so Archeon would not fit. Well, very cool. Awesome. Listen, uh, if people want to want to see what you're up to, because you, you you are active on Twitter, they can find you at. At Relion, R H E L L I O N, correct? Yeah, I'm very active. Okay. Uh, I work on a computer all day for eight to 12 hours a day, so I, right. I switch between Windows and work. So. All right. And then uh, and you are also on a podcast, Personal Flash Paper, correct? Yes, I am uh, I'm a, a terrible Infinity podcaster because I play. Tons of Age of Sigmar, and I don't play enough Infinity, but uh, <laughs> it's it's a podcast called Personal Flash Paper, and it's a introduction to Infinity, where we talk about uh, Infinity hobby tips and, and beginner strategies and tournament prep. All right. Well, listen, I really want to thank you for uh, taking the time out and chatting with us a little bit. It was uh, it was nice to meet you back at Wapaka, and I'm, I'm glad we could uh, converse a little here instead of just purely on uh, 140 character messages back and forth, so... Yeah, when am I going to see you guys again? Uh, Bits, well, Wapaka, next year? Or? Uh, oh, interesting. We are I'm, trying, I'm trying to free myself up from a, a previous engagement. Um, my uh, mother-in-law got me a Christmas present uh, scheduled for November 4th through the 5th, and oh. uh, which is holy havoc. And uh, I've got to see if, if I can, you know figure out a way to make the, to, to massage that to a different date um, so that Davey and I can come and crush face. Well, uh, Alex Gonzalez is also reintroducing the Screw City GT this year in September. And uh, I am the, the reigning champion for Screw <laughs> City, so I would, I would love for you to come try to, try to beat me up. So I, right. I think if you make it for Screw City, I'll throw a grudge out to either or both of you. All right. Oof. We will... Uh, we will I've got in a gash. You just have a gorgon, Davey. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's even worse as a cygor. So he he's whips right. the rocks around. But yes, uh, we, he's we'll a wizard. See. You get to reroll your hits. Oh yeah, no, it's amazing. Oh, I that guy's one shot at so many wizards. It's uh it's been glorious. He, so it's been been a very fun piece. But yeah, let's uh yeah let's make it happen one way or the other. So uh, good. Sweet. All right, man. Good talking to you. Thanks. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. For so that's our coverage of Chaos Battle Tome Ever Chosen. We hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more of the story from Arkan's point of view, maybe gained a little more respect for what he what, what role he plays as the um, not only um, kind of moral counter, but even you know match for Sigmar and anything he could put out um, and his place in the world in that that while Age of Sigmar is off defined by the storm cast as the, um, you know, the, the poster children, um, Archeon makes it, uh, makes the thing that they're up against. Um, so, so worth and worthy and daunting and, uh, you know, um, creates the a great backdrop and, and a strong character for this, uh, space. 
definitely go and pick up this battle tome if you're interested at all in um, running a, a battle to uh, ever chosen force and and learning more about this there's tons more details to learn from this thanks for listening absolutely we'll see you next time well our time has expired and it's time for our reforging thanks for listening to this episode of the mortal realms podcast if you know someone who's curious about age of sigmar tell them about this podcast if you'd like to follow us on twitter mal is at mortal realms Davy is at red underscore Zeke, and Eric is at Stone Monk Gamer. For Sigmar! For Sigmar! Blood for the Blood God. So, which one of those are you liking? Yeah, I mean, the... I might, I might, I might record them both here. I'll, I'll, I'll say <laughs> right. both, and then we'll. Um, you didn't like Alpaca Lips. Uh, I like it only that I think it works better in writing than it does. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it I think I agree. burns too many, um, brain cells trying to figure out what exactly I said and why or why not. It's sure. Funny. And also, uh, I'm going to leave the, uh, the puns to you as much as possible. So. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. And then bullet point interview with Brad Schwant, question mark. <laughs> All right. Is that any better? It's- or worse, un undifferentiable, to make a new word. All right, so Brad was just telling me he is uh, working on some chaos familiars. Hmm, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> <laughs>